Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lichtenstein. Today we are going to be talking about a very sensitive topic, the LGBTQ plus movement and pride parades. And we are going to discuss in specific, are we Shomrei Torah mitzvahs being influenced by secular values? And if so, how are we seeing those influences? And we're going to talk about the very important question, how should we strengthen our own values? How should I react if a pride parade goes by your home? For example, as happened to me in Yerushalayim, that happened in New Jersey as well, going by the shuls. How do you explain to your children what's going on in secular society? Do you explain to your children what's going on in secular society? But even if you don't, what happens when they ask? For example, if a child asks, what is that rainbow flag? What does that represent? What do you respond? And also, we'll talk about the very important question, is it a chilul Hashem to publicly discuss and maybe disagree with the quote-unquote enlightened values of secular society? We are going to be joined by a number of amazing guests on today's show. We are going to start out with Rabbi Dr. Yitzchak Reitowitz, the great posek, the great thinker, the senior lecturer at Yeshiva Sor Sameach. Then we are going to speak with Mr. Yitzi Mattel, who was faced with the situation. He is the owner of the West Orange Bake Shop. That's a bakery in West Orange, New Jersey. He had a, a conservative synagogue submit an order for pastries. They were rainbow pastries that were to be served at a Kiddush on Shabbos. And uh, he had to face the situation. I disagree with these values. Can I decline the order? So uh, we'll be speaking with uh, Mr. Mattel as well, with Mr. Ali Sarfati, his attorney, who advised him on the legalities of when something conflicts with your values, how do you handle that from a legal perspective? Then we will speak with Rabbi Mayor Tversky, a great thinker, one of the Rosh Yeshiva at Reitz, to give us his insights as to the world that we are living in currently. And then we will speak with Dr. Shloimi Zimmerman. He is a renowned psychologist who put out a relevant book, an excellent book. I'm in the middle of reading it uh, towards the end at this point, From Boys to Men. And it deals with uh, talking with our children, with our boys in particular about changes that they experience as they grow up. So that is somewhat, it's not on, that that book is not on the LGBT movement, but it's certainly very relevant. And then we will culminate the show with Rabbi Zvulun Schwarzman, the great Rosh Kolel in Yushalayim, who has had to deal with uh, situations that we will be talking about on today's show. Uh, I do want to say that it was a very difficult decision to discuss this topic. Uh, Parshas Ve'ikev... We have uh, the first pasuk, vaya ekev tishmu'un. Ekev means a heel or to walk, to take a step. And the Ort Sadikim brings in the name of the Rebbe from Sasav as follows, before you take a step, you should say to yourself, hear, listen, is this going to be the Ratzon Hashem or not? And based on that, that should be the sole criteria in deciding whether you take a step forward, whether you take an action or not. And he says this, this is the Pshad in the Pesach, Vaya Ekev, Vaya Behold Tzad Shetamulah any step, any action you're thinking of taking, Tishmu'un, Tishmu'ut Chilaitav, you have to listen well, you have to think well, is this the Ratzon Hashem or is it not? And if it's not, don't take that step. So I did think hard about, should I do this topic or not, and consulted with a number of people. And the decision was that this show, this topic should be discussed because it is unfortunately not being discussed. And what I mean by that is we are not going to be addressing those individuals that have these challenges, their sexual orientation challenges, 
We need to show compassion, as we will talk about on the show. And that is a discussion that people have been having in public. But we are going to, on this show, be addressing how do we strengthen our Torah values despite the adversity of secular society. That is a very important conversation to have. And it will also address those people who may be feeling confusion about who they are and address, is that normal, is that normal, and how they should deal with some confusion that they are experiencing. Along those lines, I do want to quote some statistics. Uh, this is relevant to the United States. It's probably worse in the U.S., than other places, as I as I would guess, we do discuss various statistics on today's show. Uh, the the numbers I'm going to mention right now are going to be a little bit higher than what I mentioned on the show because I have some updated data at this point. There was a Gallup poll in 2022. They surveyed 10,000 over 10,000 U.S. adults, and these are the results that they have. LGBT identification is higher in younger generations, and I'm going to quote. Part of it, it says that adult members of Generation Z, those born between 1997 and 2004, who were aged 18 to 25 years old in 2022, so that group are the most likely subgroup to identify as LGBT, with 19.7% doing so. Again, that age group, those who were 18 to 25 years old last year, almost 20%, almost 20% identify as LGBT. It could be L, it could be G, it could be, it could be T, one of them. Uh, 20%, 20%, and fascinating, the rate is 11.2% among millennials. Millennials are those who were born in the 1980s up until the mid-1990s, so it goes down dramatically from 20% to approximately 11%, and again, it goes down dramatically to 3.3% or less among older generations. There's more detail in the study, and it goes down and down, the older the people are, and they were all polled in 2022, uh, but uh, the older the people were, the lower the percentage was of those who identify as LGBT, which is fascinating in of itself. And we'll discuss on this show uh, some possibilities as why that is the case. Um, but uh, the, the numbers are not good. The numbers are, in fact, terrible, but fascinating. It's more younger people than the older people with 19.7 of the number of the younger people. Um, and these numbers have gotten worse over time. So I, I do also want to distinguish uh, between two two issues, two concerns, two stories. Somebody told me that uh, a man... A very, uh, this learning is an Avreich in Colwell, and uh, unfortunately he did have these these tendencies, unfortunate tendencies, and he felt terrible about it, but he couldn't control it. And he called the Shadchan and says, I am looking for a specialized Shadchan who can help me. I want to have a family. I want to live amongst Kal Yisrael. I want to have children. Uh, but I don't have uh, the, the right uh, predilections for that. So I'm looking for a woman who has the same challenge. And and that's someone who, in a very quiet way, was trying to deal with the situation. And to an individual like that, we have to have tremendous compassion, tremendous compassion. He wanted to live a Torahic life, but uh, had an impediment. On the other hand, uh, there's the story of the Rav that was approached by by a, a young man and wanted to talk about his, uh, his predispositions. And... Uh, uh, for that man, they, they added on Zoom, and uh, there was a flag, the rainbow flag in back, and that was uh, publicizing and promulgating the uh, predilections of, of that individual. Now, that, I think, is a fairly 
different approach, somebody who is espousing and advertising when they have uh, th these challenges as opposed to somebody who's keeping it quieter, trying to be very tzanua about it. Uh, we do have in uh, Parshas Re'eh talking about what bracha is and what klala is. And uh, there in talking about what klala is, it says about klala im, im sishmu, what's the klala? If, if im lo sishmu is a klala, it's a curse if you don't adhere to the dictates of the Torah. And then it says right after that, v'sarta mina derech, and you uh, go off the derech. So the Be'er Ma'im Chaim and the Malmim say something very interesting. When somebody has a positive thought, it's as if somebody, I'm going to have a plan, I'm going to do something good, but something gets in the way of doing it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says you get credit for the Maisa. You get credit for that. It's as if you did it and you receive bracha. That's the bracha and the klala. But when it comes to klala, it's very different. When somebody has a machshava ra, a machshava ra, somebody has a negative thought, a bad thought, a sinful thought, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is non mitzvah the Maisa. In other words, until an action is done, it doesn't count as a sin, it doesn't count as a demerit. And that's what we learn from these psukim, v'aklala imlo sishmu, etc. v'sarta minaderach. When is it going to be a klala? When is it going to be a klala? It's, it's when you're v'sarta minaderach. When it, that machshava, that initial machshava is associated with sarta minaderach, the Maisa, that is when it is sinful. So, that uh, is an important issue that uh, if somebody has uh, like the first individual predilection but doesn't act on it, doesn't uh, advertise it, that's one thing. And that person is requires compassion being in such a difficult situation. But what we'll be talking about today is how we deal with situations when everything is being advertised and everything is uh, effectively being forced. The values of secular society is being forced on on Klal Yisrael, being forced on Shomrei Torah Mitzvahs, and, and just a number of examples of how it's very difficult to to not be uh, to not have exposure to to not have exposure to to, to the uh, secular environment. There was a, a chain of uh, smoothie bars that has Ashkacha in in uh, in Eretz Yisrael that uh, they were promoting pride drinks, pride drinks for the month of uh, June. And if you wanted a smoothie, you go in. It's all colorful because they were celebrating the pride movement and that happened two shuls in New Jersey that had a parade going by and the city placed uh, rainbow flags in front of the shuls. Uh, the shuls quietly requested they be taken down and uh, initially they, the flags were taken down and then uh, they were put back up and it became a, a real, uh, it became a public a public issue with ma making the shuls look bad even though they were trying to adhere to their values. You want to go into Target, the Target store and they're selling plenty of things that are uh, colorful and promoting, uh, celebrating the LGBT uh, movement uh, and yeshiva kids going to pride parades, uh, use of bathrooms nowadays you have to have for this type of person and that type of person. And as we'll talk about the show, the bakery in New Jersey that uh, that got that order from the conservative synagogue. There's just so many examples, and I could keep on going, so many examples of how we're trying to live our lives and these values are being pushed on us. And it, it really brings constantly, constantly, it brings a Mishnah in Avodah Zorah to mind. It's in the third parak, Mishnah Dalet, Sha'al, Proklos, Ben Prospos, quite a name. And, uh, a non-Jewish philosopher, and he uh, asked the question of Rabbi Gamliel. They were in Akko together. They were in the Schwitz together, and uh, the Merchat shall Aphrodite, and uh, the Schwitz of Aphrodite, and uh, that is, and represents a planet Venus, and uh, and Proslos asks uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel, how, how can you be here? This is a place of Avodah 
How can you be in the Schwitz? So he says, I can't answer you right now. I can't speak to Tivri Torah in the Schwitz. But when they got out, Rabbi Gamliel answered as follows, Ani lobasi bigvula, hibas bigvuli. Such powerful language. I didn't come into its area. This avodazor came into my area. In other words, there are two reasons that are, that are brought in the Mishnah. We don't have to go into detail. I want to focus on that phrase. I was here first. This is not really a place of Avodah It's a place that is not respect to the Avodah etc. The details don't matter. The phrase matters. I didn't come into the idol's area. The idol came into my area. And that's very much what keeps resounding in my head. When it comes to these secular values, ani lobasi bigvula, hibas bigvuli. And I feel that that's what is being forced on us, unfortunately, in this society. And that what is what our focus is going to be on. How do we strengthen our values given what is going on in this society? How do those who may be confused and are being bombarded with those values, how they should, should they think about themselves? And uh, what steps can they proactively take to try to to fend off or to deal with any confusion that they may be experiencing. Before going to our guests, I'd like to quickly go through the riddle of the week. This week's riddle comes from Parshas Ekev. We have the Pasuk. It's a parakut Pasuk that says, Es Hashem We should have fear of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And there's a famous Gemara Sochim that says that Shimon HaAmsuni, he would doresh, he would make drushas out of every S in the Torah. So whenever he saw the word S, he'd make a drush on it until he got to this Pasuk. Es Hashem And he says, Uh-oh, I have a problem here. We should have fear only of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And I cannot make a drush that we should have fear of anything else on the level of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So at that point, he said, I can no longer make the drushas of S anymore. And uh, he stopped. He stopped, etc. And then Gormor goes into detail on that. And then in the continuation, until Rabbi Akiva came. And Rabbi Akiva says, I have a drusha for the S. S Hashem So he says, what's the drusha? What are we marbe? What are we going to include in this drusha? Fear of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Le-rabos talmidei chachamim. That you have to have tremendous fear, not only of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, but talmidei chachamim as well. And the question of the hour. The question of the hour for a riddle is, that was Rebbe Akiva that was necessary to make the drasha that the S of our Pasuk includes Talmidei Chachami. Why couldn't Shimon Hamtsuni, a very, very creative individual, why couldn't he himself make that same drasha? If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's 02-372-0304. And now let's go to our wonderful guests. Joining us now is Rabbi Yitzchak Breidowitz. Rabbi Breidowitz is a renowned posek, a renowned magid shir, the Rav of Kilas or Sameach. 
and so much more. Rabbi Breitowitz, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Rabbi. It's always a pleasure to be here. Rabbi Breitowitz, I, I feel a little bit strange saying thank you so much for joining us because I'm sitting here in Or Sameach with you <laughs> on, on your home court. So uh, thank you so much for having me, I should say. Well, it's good to have you back. You know, people, uh, our Talmudim still remember the wonderful shiurim you gave of business ethics, and maybe we'll be so good to have you back. Thank you so much. So, uh, Rabbi Baidas, obviously we have a very sensitive topic now, so I'd like to start out actually with a question in that regard. How, how do we weigh the need to be sensitive to those individuals with challenges with their sexual orientation versus the need, possible need, we'll talk about that now, to discuss what's right and wrong in our tzibor? Yeah, uh, this is, um, it's actually not a very difficult question in theory. It's a difficult question in practice. I think in theory, it is very, very clear that in no way can we compromise the Torah. In no way can we dilute our values. In no way can I, in the interest of making somebody feel more comfortable, distort uh, the halachas of the Torah. Uh, and if that means people are going to be uncomfortable, then that's going to be the inevitable fallout of standing for principles. And as Chazal say in a different context, Divrei HaRav, Divrei HaTalmud, the words of the Master, the words of the Disciple, Divrei Mishoman, who do you listen to? So obviously the will of God is paramount. At the same time, it would be callous, it would be cruel not to be cognizant of the pain that people suffer. And as a result, uh, any Rav, any Kehila has to go through a very difficult balancing process. On one hand, I can't legitimate that which violates the Torah. I can't validate it. I can't publicly support it. But on the individual level, I have to regard uh, every Jew as a Jew. Yisrael, Yisrael, a Jew is a Jew even if they sin. And after all, all of us have Averos one way or the other. So I have to do what I can for the individual in perhaps a private, more discreet way, but I cannot publicly endorse or validate. Now, the truth of the matter is, uh, in the olden days, when I was growing up, I wasn't so it's such ancient history. You know, there obviously have always been uh, gay people. I mean, the fact that the Torah answers, you know, male homosexual expression. Must have existed. People must have been doing it. And we know, of course, we know from Greece and Rome and Egypt, we know that obviously this existed. There's always been intermarriage as well. I mean, the Torah talks about it and the book of Ezra talks about it, Lamaisa. But when I was growing up, there was kind of a sense that people who did it, did it. But there was a basic respect in which kind of almost a don't ask, don't tell a little bit in which, okay, you do what you do. It's between you and God. I'm not here to harass you. I'm not here to knock down your bedroom door and investigate you. Okay. But it was understood that you also did not demand some type of public recognition. So if Uncle Joe, Joe married a, a non-Jewish woman, the non-Jewish woman understood instinctively not to show up at a bar mitzvah, not to show up as a wedding. And, you know, it was left unsaid. And, and I think in those ways, um, there was at least a kind of way, kind of an accommodation, in which we understood that not everybody's perfect. And of course, you know, I'm not perfect, yeah, and, and the like. What has happened uh, in recently is that it's not enough to be tolerant even. It's not enough to be compassionate. It's not enough to be understanding. You have to give a hechsher. You have to legitimate. You have to celebrate gay pride. And that's where we really, really run into a question. I, I, I think that uh, it's almost impossible to compromise on that issue because if they're demanding public recognition and acceptance rather than compassionate private understanding that I hope would always be present. I hope we will always have that capacity. And, and, and I'll be masking that sometimes in some shows, some rabbanim, you know, don't have the requisite compassion. And, and I, I'm critical of that too. But the public recognition, the gay pride business is just 
going beyond what I, as a an Orthodox Jew who believes in Torah Minashamayim, could possibly endorse. Okay, right, right. You said that, that it's very important to be sensitive to people with LGBT, or at least LG inclination. So I, I'd like to find out what does that mean, and uh, does that mean we condone their activities, or does it mean something else? You know, this is a, a very, very difficult line to draw. Obviously, it's a Dover Pushet that whether you're a rab or whether you're just a regular Jew who keeps the Torah and mitzvot, uh, we can't compromise on Hashem's will. The Torah is not our property, and we can't just do with it what we want to do. So there's no possible way I can condone, I can support, I can legitimate, I can validate. Um, I have to be honest that uh, these things are usher, these things are prohibited, and perhaps I should even mention, although maybe I won't always mention it in a conversation, that the Torah calls it a tayeva. However, there is another aspect that I think is also MS, and that is uh, these urges can be very, very strong, and uh, a person can feel uh, lonely, and a person can feel rejected, and a person can feel marginalized, and uh, at least I can have the empathy and compassion for the pain and the difficulty that the person is facing. And I know it's a thin line to draw. I know that many people feel that once I open myself up for compassion, I'm automatically legitimating. I mean, I hear it. I'm not even, I'm not rejecting that response, but I think it's part of the Midas HaChesed. Uh, that we try to give a person chizuk. Chizuk not in the avera that he's doing, but at least the sense that he can do other mitzvahs, that he's a yid, that he's a member of Klal Yisrael, and uh, therefore I could encourage him to keep Shabbos, keep tefillin, and explore with both a therapist and a spiritual guide how to deal with uh, the particular nisayon that he has, and maybe, maybe, hopefully, to transcend it in one way or the other. Uh, but I, I do think that Rachamim in this is very strong. I mean, imagine if you have a person who perhaps will never be able to get married, will never be able to have a Jewish family. I think, you know, our heart should go out to him. Uh, even if he's engaged in sinful behaviors, he has a tough situation, and uh, we should at least have empathy for that situation. Right. So let's talk about the environment, what's going on right now. Um, it, it, things have changed fairly quickly, and uh, the question is, uh, seems that uh, we are seeing a required endorsement and maybe even an institutionalized uh, approach to the LGBT movement. And, and the question is, why is that happening? And, and even more so, and more important for our topic is, how does this affect us as Shomrei Torah Mitzvahs? There is constant LGBT propaganda um, and how do you see it impacting us and our values? Yeah, so, so first of all, I mean, I, I think the classic text that is so nogeo l'maisa, as if Chazal had ruach HaKodesh here, is the, is the famous medrash that talks about uh, the different sins of the Dor HaMabal, and it mentions that one of the sins was they began to write a kesuva for Mishkav Zohar. Now, that is a very significant statement, because it doesn't simply say they were committing the sins of Mishkav Zohar. Committing the sins, it's a sin, but it wouldn't have resulted in the Dora Mabel. Writing the Ksuba is very different. They're sanctifying the sin. They're legitimating the sin. They're saying, let's make a chuppah of a kedushin. Let's make a sheva brachas. Let's legitimate gay marriage, exactly what's going on. Uh, you will find on YouTube, vidi Rahman al-Islam, really, videos of, you know, so-called orthodox ceremonies with Sheva Brachos and Chuppah, two men getting married, two women getting married. And what the Medrash is teaching us is a very important yourself. There is a difference between sinning and having an awareness that you're sinning versus redefining the standards and turning the light into darkness and darkness into light. When I sin because I have a Yetzirah, it's hard for me to control myself. Right? There's a certain Rachamim 
Hashem has, a person you know, works with Hashem and goes through this difficulty. But when a person redefines the standard, that's Ziyah Fatzah And when the Medrash talks about writing a Ksuba for Mishkov Zarqa, that's exactly what happened. It's happening now. I mean, this started already, I don't know how many years ago, more than 30 years ago. When the psychiatric manual, uh, the DSM, I don't remember, the cha- you know, used to characterize homosexuality as a psychiatric disorder. It took it out. It's normal. It's fine. And the problem is that this has a very, very deleterious circular effect because the more you normalize a condition, the more you remove the incentive to try to change it, to try to work around it. In other words, I think there is literature, a psychiatric literature, that indicates that the very much discredited conversion therapy, when one one wants to change sexual orientation in some places, it's against the law. Now, again, I'm not holding it up as a panacea. It, It doesn't work in every case. But it does indicate that when there's religious motivation, it works at a higher rate than it would work without that motivation. Again, I, I'm not saying it's a panacea, but it does work. It, it works better when there's strong motivation. Mm-hmm. What societal acceptance does is it takes away that motivation. And when it takes away the motivation, you're perpetuating the problem. So the problem gets worse, even numerically, when society legitimates and accepts something that would otherwise be regarded as pathological. So a teenage kid feels a certain attraction to a boy. Now, in some ways, that could be very, very normal. That's part of growing up. You know, you're attracted to here, you're attracted to there. And if the person knew that, you know, this is not what, what a Jew does, you know, etc. So he would kind of just get over it in, in some ways. But if, if there's incessant, you know, um, publicity, this is right, this is good, this is legitimate, all of the incentives that would normally push a person away from this are simply not here anymore. And by the way, the same thing is true with uh, transgender. I know that's not our topic directly. Um, you know, uh, if a girl wants to play baseball, you know, let's go to hormone surgery, you know, it's hormone replacement immediately. Uh, I mean, I, I've been told by some women who are in their 40s or 50s, he says, they're very happy they grew up at an earlier time because they were tomboys and today they would probably transition to be male. Real. Yeah, be but, And they just like playing baseball. Yeah, and they like playing baseball, you know. So that's what's going on now, you know. So it's truly awful because it's not simply compassion. For those who are suffering, it's adding gasoline to the fire. It's enormously increasing the problem. So, Rabbi Breda, in, in Chazal, we talk about somebody who sins once and sins twice, and on the third time, it says hutralo. Yep. So, that was on an individual level, and it seems that we're becoming a hutra level on an institutionalized communal yep. or society yep. level. That, that's, that's, that's a very, very good uh, good observation. And they say, B'Shem Rabbi Saul Salander, you know, the... The third time uh, it becomes mutter. The fourth time it becomes a mitzvah. The <laughs> fourth time it becomes we're, we're at that right now. We're, we're at that yeah. right now. And I think you're 100% correct. Uh, the hutro law is not only referring to individuals, but it applies to society right. as a whole. Now, j- just to back up what you said about um, somebody could be on a border or somebody could be attracted to this and that, so maybe yeah. it's, a, it's a normal thing. I, I once uh, visited somebody I knew who unfortunately started abusing drugs and alcohol, and uh, I used to go visit him on Sundays. And uh, he actually had HIV. And this was a lot of years ago when that was a real concern. And I didn't ask, but he started explaining to me that uh, he, he, was, uh, he, he was not attracted to men, but he, at the point that he was uh, really having a challenge in his life, he said, I experimented. And that's how he came down with HIV. And that, to me, 
really raise the issue of may, people could be experimenting. They could really be uh, what we, we would call uh, attracted properly, men to men and women, men to women and women to men. But uh, it could be that there's that concept of experimenting. And if it's hutralo, then what we're saying is we could be losing a lot of people because of this environment that otherwise wouldn't be lost to these uh, to these yeah, trends. Yeah, yes. First of all, let me just point out the obvious that... Um in the uh, the bisexual community, the B in that uh, string of uh, of letters, how, how could I have any rachamim for a bisexual? If a bisexual, if a bisexual has the option to live within the Torah because they are attracted, so there should be any legitimation for that. That is not even an onus type of argument. Okay, and that's most. That's yeah. most. Looking at the statistics yeah. so, of the LGBT movement, most so, is the B. So this notion that I'm somehow trapped just doesn't even make sense as applies to, uh, as applied to that group. That that's the first point. Uh, the second point is, and again, um, I, I'm a, you know, you or I might be attacked from this, and, and um, I'm not making a an absolute general statement, but I'm just saying in many many cases, sexual identity or gender affinity is very, very is much more fluid than people think. It's not like you know you're locked into a particular mode. As you said, you experiment, you're in and out. Uh, there's even an expression in the lesbian community called lug, lesbian until graduation, where in the secular society, a woman decides to be a lesbian during college, and then she gets married and has children. So there is an in and out movement here. And if something is caught, if something is directed, if something is channeled in a proper way, then uh, people can move uh, into... Uh, a Torah type of type of relationship. Things are not fixed. Even even if you go with the genetic propensity idea, which is a little controversial. But genetics is not destiny. At most, it creates you know a tendency. But tendencies can be channeled and can be redirected. We never believe that biology is destiny. Just as the Gemara says, you're born under the mazel of Mars, so you're going to be a shofech Dumin, but you could decide to be a robber or a main mazel Israel. And right. she says and that you can yeah. change it by tefillah. Things can be changed. Now again, I. I, I know the danger of holding it out as a 100% guarantee, but at least these are avenues that have to be explored under responsible therapists and, and the like. And the problem is society has removed the incentive for even looking into this. And uh, I can tell you that um, I myself am in contact with some very, very good therapists in Israel uh, that work in this area. And they basically say that the notion that sexual orientation cannot be redirected is almost an axiom. Uh, in the secular world and even the Jewish non-religious world, says it's fundamentally not true. In many case, in many cases, not all cases, there's a lot that can be done right. that, that but, people are just not pursuing. But they're not pursuing. Part of it, I called a therapist to see if that therapist could join us on the show, and uh, she said that she could not. Unfortunately, she has a lot to say on the subject. But if she says what she wants to say, and it's in the United States, she could lose her license. Yeah. Yeah. And that now, now again, again. I mean, I, I want to be fair on both sides. Uh, there have been conversion therapists, whatever the term is, who have you know been potentially abusive. Their techniques were not proper, uh, and I understand there were some suicides. Okay, so obviously there are, there are issues here, and I don't want to to, to belittle the, those issues. But the notion of simply dismissing a therapy, making it illegal, taking it away from a family and from a patient who wants to try to use it, I think it's grossly, grossly unfair. You're simply closing therapeutic avenues for people who might really, really benefit from it. Absolutely. So, Rabbi Breider, let's talk about how we should react. Uh, should we sit back? 
We see the LGBT movement promoting its agenda, promoting its values. They're parading in the streets, tens of thousands, even in Yerushalayim. Do we make public statements? Do we have a podcast? Do we counter-protest? Or maybe more important, most important, is do we teach our values to Klal Yisra, what is right, what is wrong? Do we teach in our schools? Yeah, uh, so this is very painful. You know, you and I both both live in the holy city, live in Yerushalayim, and to have... Um, a gay pride month or parade or whatever it is uh, in the middle of the holiest place in the world is very, very, very painful. And uh, we cannot be silent, but but we have to have a great deal of chachma in how we respond. Because unfortunately, the way we respond can often generate a tremendous chilul Hashem, which can destroy the very uh, ideals that you're trying to communicate. So if there would be violence, if there would be throwing feces or throwing rocks, again, you might point out here and there some technical halakha that you're allowed to be for somebody from an or even by physical force. But in this uh, world... Let's be real. Yeah. In this world, that's Chilul Hashem. And in this world, you know, uh, you will be condemned as a troglodyte. You will be condemned as a... a whatever it is, a Nazi, they'll even use such a Lashem. So you have to convey the teachings of the Torah in a loving way, in a gentle way. In fact, uh, it's Yeduah B'Shem Rav Chaim of Elijah, the great Talmud of the Gra, that if one cannot give tokacha, if one cannot give t- chastisement in a loving, compassionate way, they are Padre Lagamri from that chastisement. Padre and maybe Usher. Maybe Usher, that, that's correct. That's correct. So we have to figure out, uh, so I'm not so much in favor of counter-demonstrations. I think they tend to degenerate into name-calling or even worse uh, in, in many, many cases. And then the Torah looks bad. What can I tell you? Um, and uh, to be a Kanoya, the Zavort, we know we just read Parshas Pinchas, and uh, the Zavort from the Kasav Seifer, that in order to be a Kanoi, a zealot for God, you have to be like Pinchas, who is a descendant of Aaron, Oev Shalom, a lover of peace, a, a pursuer of peace. You can't be a hothead who just loves to demonstrate, or the like. So, I'm not in favor of the techniques of counter-demonstrations. On the other hand, uh, I do think the Bekol Mamadaka with a quiet, clear voice, we have to teach what our values are. Uh, at the same time, expressing compassion for people and understanding for people and emphasizing that uh, a Jew is a Jew. We're not saying they're not Jewish or anything like that. But we have to say that the Torah recognizes that the only legitimate uh, sexual relationships, the only legitimate marriages that can exist are between men and women. And the fact that society celebrates and endorses cannot change what is eternally right, that uh, one of the 13 principles of faith, Amuna, is Zos HaTayra, Lo Dehei the Tayra is not going to be changed. And we can't give in to the popular voices to change things. I mean, the uh, reform movement tried to do it you know, 200 years ago and relatively, I mean, there were some significant changes, but the truth is these changes are even more significant than what the reform movement was trying to do. Right. So let's talk about very tangibly um, and real what we're seeing and how should we react. And I'll give a couple examples. Um, one is that we live in Yerushalayim. There's a chain of smoothie drinks, a chain that, uh, that sells smoothie drinks in Yerushalayim with a Mahadran Hashkacha, Mahadran Hashkacha, and they promoted for the uh, Pride Month of June colorful Pride drinks for a month. And you go in and you get uh, rainbow drinks and the like. So how should we think about that? Is that a store that we should go into? And in the United States, Target, Target stores, huge chain. Many people buy there. They're selling items, clothing, geared specifically to the LGBT movement. 
Should we buy in places like that? Should we avoid going into it because the exposure, if you take your kids and they say, why are all the drinks, the smoothies this month? Pride, what's the pride? Because we take pride because they're colorful. And how about the clothing? What is that? And uh, what are those symbols? How, how should we relate to these uh, to these stores uh, and these retail establishments and, and the like that are, uh, are uh, really coming into our lives? So... Maybe I would differentiate the, the two situations that you posed. Uh, your first uh, question was the smoothies in a store that's under Mahadran Hashgacha. Now, I know the argument can be made that Hashgachos only certify katras of ingredients and what's going on doesn't go on. But the truth of the matter is, um, I believe at least many of the Mahadran Hashgachos will not certify a place where there's uh, mixed dancing or where there are boys and girls, you know, are there after 11, meaning essentially uh, a Hashgacha takes a certain amount of achrayas that we're certifying that this is a place that may be matim for a religious Jew to go into. So I don't see how a Mahadran uh, can give a certification to an, organ- to an institution, to an organization that is openly proclaiming uh, its admiration and its support for gay pride. Uh, so uh, I would think that, number one, the Mahadran should withdraw its hashgacha. I know people are going to say, well, that's coercion. Well, that's not coercion. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not forced to give a hashgacha to something that's... Uh, you know, doing Jews for Jesus or, or whatever, whatever it would be. So, uh, and I think a certain amount of boycott would be okay. I mean, again, not demonstration. C- certainly after they lose the hashgacha, you should boycott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I think the hashgacha has some responsibility for that. Now, with respect to a place like Target, you know, what can I say? I, I almost feel a little bit of compassion for Target. You know, Target is, is, is part of that secular culture where everything's at. Uh, the gay stuff is a a small chalik of their things. They're just going with the flow. Uh, and I think if there would be kind of an organized boycott on the part of Orthodox Jews or, or fundamentalist Christians, um, I, I think uh, there might be a public relations you know, problem there in terms of we're trying to force you know, businesses to be homophobic and the like. So with respect to chutzlaaretz, with respect to institutions where the Jewish community is not giving a heksher, is not certifying, um, I would tend just to say, yeah, this is life. I mean, listen, I mean, there's so many things. What about the fact that Target sells clothes that are not sinias? I mean, there's already, what I'm saying, there already is Problems. so many things, so many products that are not halakhically compliant, I, I'm not sure if we need to make a, an extra macha. Right, right. Now somebody comes to you, let me ask a couple more scenarios. Because those were more examples of we would have to, kumva say, go out to them. We go to the smoothie store, we go to whatever they call those, the smoothie, I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or, or we go to Target. How about when they come into our lives? And I'll give you an example. I recently read about a, a New Jersey bakery, a kosher bakery, that uh, received an order for rainbow pride treats placed by a quote-unquote synagogue. And the baker from bakery uh, felt uncomfortable with that and uh, refused to fill the order. I'm going to make cakes with lots of rainbow colors representing, and they're going to they're going to have it at one of their their uh, Sabbath kiddishes. This uh, this synagogue, or another example is there was a shul also in New Jersey that had a pride parade walking by it, and they quietly, very properly and quietly requested the flag that had been hung in front of the shul on public ground 
be removed. And initially the mayor concurred and removed it, and then afterward he got flack for it and he put it back. So what we have here is that these secular and even perverse values are trespassing us. And the question is, how should we react in these situations? Yeah, so um, first of all, I, I, I give my congratulations to uh, the baker in, in West Orange, New Jersey, who stood on principle. Uh, and um, what a chaval that the Jewish Federation, well, okay, at least at least an employee of the Jewish Federation issued a statement about, you know, condemning his activity. The United, the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution protects freedom of religion. And Baruch Hashem, the Supreme Court, just uh, last week, issued an opinion in a case that was somewhat similar to this, in which it affirmed the right of a private vendor not to have to engage in a transaction that offends his religious values. I mean, after all, I mean, why... Even if you recognize some freedom to be gay or whatever it is, uh, that freedom should not have the right to infringe a private person's really deeply held religious beliefs. So 100% uh, you cannot be forced uh, to violate uh, or endorse something that is a violation of your fundamental religious beliefs. And the person said that he's not anti gay in terms of discrimination. If, if if gay people would come in and order cakes, he would not refuse to serve them. And if somebody came in and wanted to buy a cake that I hate gays, he wouldn't, he said he wouldn't accept that order either. He says he's not trying to discriminate against people on the basis of sexual orientation. He simply does not want to create a product that is endorsing or supporting something against his religious beliefs. So 100% correct. In terms of the rabbis as well, I mean, why um, if Somebody's practices are deeply, deeply offensive to, to my religion. So I understand that maybe in a secular society, I can't say that my religious values trump your freedoms. But at least within the proximity of my house of worship, there can be a little bit of respect, a little bit of accommodation. Why does the Orthodox synagogue, you know, have to be actively involved, so to speak, by having a gay, uh, by having a rainbow flag or banner? right in front of them. So I think this is an example of, I think, the insanity of you got to kosher us, you got to legitimate us. You, meaning we say to the, they say to the firm world, you have to say how good we are. And I think our response is, hey, you know, we love you, we care about you, but we're not going to endorse what you're doing. What you stand for. Yeah, you just have to understand that. And, you know, the same way we don't ask you to endorse what we stand for. Don't ask us to endorse what you stand for. Right. That's a valid point. One question that's very much on my mind, um, and that's our kids and how they're impacted by the <laughs> And I'll ask a specific question, but obviously we can globalize from that. If your 10-year-old, 11-year-old son-daughter asks you as the pride parade goes down to your street in Yerushalayim, what's that technicolor flag? What does that represent? What do you say? And uh, obviously that's a specific question, but in general, there's an environment here. And how do you explain what's going on when there are two men walking down the street holding hands or they see something uh, that doesn't look as they were raised? And how do you, how do you explain this, this movement, this trend that's going well, on? Unfortunately, it's going to get harder and harder and harder as you have gay marriage and you have gay adoption and you have transgender and you have a gazillion different, different problems. It's going to get harder and harder to explain to your kids what is going on in an insane world. Uh, but the basic thing I would say, and I hope uh, my child is mature enough, is that, uh, listen, uh, God gave us the Torah and the Torah tells us how we're supposed to live. Unfortunately, over time, there are many Jews who wander away from the Torah, 
whether it's marrying Goyim, whether it's not keeping Shabbos. And one of the ways in which people have wandered away from the Torah is that they cre- they want to create marriages of man and man. And, you know, uh, I just have to tell my child, this is not what Hashem wants. And they say, we don't hate people. People are sometimes sick. People are sometimes misguided. People are sometimes led astray by the media and the like. So we're not hating anybody. We're not attacking them. They're Jews. But we have to know that this is not what Hashem wants us to do. And I hope uh, a child will understand because as a child grows up, even if they're in an insular community, they, they realize that not all Jews keep the Torah and not all non-Jews keep the seven Noahide laws. This is no gay of the Noahide laws as well. But I think you try to differentiate between the sinner and the sin. The old story, hate the sin. Yitamu chatoyim, right? Hate the sin, don't hate the sinner. So I don't think we should be advocating, you know, hatred of anybody. Uh, but we still need to make the lines very clear. Very good. Rabbi Broidowitz, that's a very good chiluk that you're making, a very wise chiluk. And I think that's a thread that we've seen throughout our conversation is itamu chataim minar. It's not chotim, but itamu chataim minar. And hopefully that's what we'll see with this trend. Hopefully uh, this fad that came on quickly, hopefully it will uh, quickly phase out. Amen, amen, amen. Thank, thank, you. thank you so much for joining us, Rabbi Good Breidowitz. to be with you. Thanks. Joining us now is Yitzi Mattel and Eli Sarfati. Yitzi is the owner of the West Orange Bake Shop. That's a bakery which recently made the news by refusing to fulfill an order for a rainbow decorated cake and cookies to celebrate Gay Pride Month plus movement. They were having a kiddish on Shabbos, celebrating a, a pride Shabbos. The order was actually placed by a conservative synagogue located in New Jersey. And Eli also joining us is the owner of the law firm Sarfati and Associates, located in Muncie. He was the attorney who was consulted by Yitzi before canceling the order. Eli is a Tolan Bastein. He is an attorney. He is the owner of 59law.com. And uh, we are delighted to have both of you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Good to be here. So why don't we start with Yitzi? Yitzi, the West Orange Bake Shop. You recently received an order, turned down an order for rainbow pastries. Uh, so can you give us a little bit background? What happened? What was the order for on Shabbos to celebrate Pride Month or Pride Shabbos or something like that? Uh, what was the order for and uh, why did you turn it down? Okay. So um, thank you, Um I really enjoy being here. I've been listening to you for a long time. And, and it's nice to be a guest. So a little background, uh, you know, this is an order that that a similar type of order had been placed last year. Um, but th- th- this is a moving target, this movement. Um, this is something which I never had to deal with five years ago. Um, there wasn't, as far as I know, there wasn't much of a movement like there is now. Um, so last year, somebody had placed an order, I believe probably from the same place. We don't, we don't ask when a customer puts an order in, we don't ask what it's for. We try to stick to just the facts, just the basics we don't need to know. Otherwise we're on the phone all day and we can't get work done. So last year they had ordered a cake, but they just wanted it to be decorated with a rainbow. That's all they wanted. They didn't say what it was for. They didn't say they wanted it to be decorated for pride. Um, and there was no inscription on it. So, um, at the time, I, I sort of figured out what it was for, and, and it didn't sit well because the celebration of of, of of a wicked life 
it's not something that I'm that I'm into. It's not it's not it's not Torah. It's not it's not against who I am. And this is not something that I want to be involved in. So, but it was it's difficult because we live in a legal society, um, and law defines what you're sometimes able to do. And um, Baruch Hashem, you know, I have a lot of across the toe for Jack Phillips, the baker in Colorado, for setting the groundwork uh, in this in this whole thing. I mean, he went through, from what I understand, tremendous heartache over many years, and he's still fighting it. But but he he, he got the original Supreme Court decision to side, you know, sided with his religious rights, and more recently the. It was actually after I made this my decision, the the you know the free speech rights were affirmed. Um, so I knew that going into it, I knew that I had legal some legal. Um, but you see, before before canceling the order, so you you consulted with Ellie. You consulted with anyone else on this? I consulted with Ellie. Uh, I, I first actually called my Rob, who had suggested that I. Um, Speak to an attorney. Um, well, getting back to the order, this year when they placed the order, they wanted the order um, not just, they didn't even say they wanted it, they wanted to be decorated for pride. That's how they described the order. And they wanted the words pride Shabbat to be inscribed on a cake. So it, it was much, it was a big move from last year. Um, last year they had just placed an order for a rainbow, and this year they wanted for pride, whatever that may be, with the words pride Shabbat. Um, so you see the, the, the progression over here. I, I maybe I, I like to call it regression. So um, I reached out to Ellie and Ellie, you know, initially I was wavering. I said, maybe, maybe I should just do it with the rainbow without the writing. But, you know, Ellie gave me a lot of chizuk and he said, absolutely, um, you shouldn't. You shouldn't do it at all. And, and, and that really, and then he had me reach out to someone else, a different rub, um, where I left a, a message with and he got back to me that night. Um, and sort of affirming that and said, you know, you really, if, if you're protected legally, you shouldn't, um, you, you shouldn't do it. And so the next morning, it was a Wednesday morning, uh, the order originally came in, it was a Tuesday morning. And so Wednesday morning, we called him back and we informed the customer that we would not be fulfilling the order. They wanted to ask questions about it, but we, we weren't open to that. And so we, you know, wished him a good day. And that was that. Um, Yitzi, this obviously causes a lot of stress. I, I would imagine causes a lot of stress for you personally and the family. What does your family, what does your wife have to say about what's going on? Do they say, just give in? Why'd you do this? Or are they supportive of what's going on? You know, th- this is a battle that I'm not fighting alone by my son. You know, my wife is an equal partner, not just my life, but in, in the business. She, we both work there every day of the week, Kamat. Uh, many, many, many long hours. Um, and, and Baruch Hashem HaKash Baruch has given me a, a wife that is uh, a, a, tremendous, a tremendous person. She, she, she works very hard as a mother of six children, Kanaida Hara, and, and, and she runs marathons and, and is, trains uh, girls in the area and running as well. Um, so she's just, um, she's just, you know, having someone like that on my side means that, I'm, it, you know, gives me the courage to stand up to whatever, whatever, whatever we face. Which... Whatever the adversity is. Very good. Good luck on the marathon. That's, that's great for her. Not, I don't think any, any of us on this call are uh, jogging marathons, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but, uh, so, so, so let's move over to Ellie. Ellie, you get this call from Yitzi. 
What was the question he asked or questions and uh, what was the advice that you gave him? So, yeah, so he presented basically along the lines of what he just said. And now when I like envisioned in my head the idea of a rainbow, Pride Shabbat, like how antithetical to Judaism could you possibly be? And I was just going to point out the idea of the rainbow. If you think about that is the idea of what's symbolic in the religion for destruction, because the marble, after the marble, that's when the Keshet came out and the, the rainbow. So a lot of people like look at that rainbow as some sort of symbol. Every time I see the rainbow, I just think this is what caused the destruction of the world. And the movement, they like to say a lot of the times they say, you know, victimless crimes. I'm like, no, it's not a victimless crime. This within the Torah, you see that the effect in mass that this has on Cloudy Searle and on the entire world because of things like this is humongous. It's huge. So it's not a victimless crime. And I think they're kind of their attitude is is, you know, their whole trajectory is based on victimless crimes, which it's not. So when I heard this from Yitz, when I heard the the idea, I'm like, this is like Hashem, like how could you possibly affirm something which is so antithetical to who we are and what we are. And on top of it, I remember the Supreme Court decision back from 2018. That was with the baker who didn't want to do for uh, for uh, for a wedding of the, the same gender wedding. And I remember and he it was a little bit different than the case that happened now. I'm sure as a lawyer, you, you know, the nuances, the nuance over there was there was a regulation that they were found to be discriminatory um, of by I think it was in Seattle. And what ended up happening is, is they ended up prevailing, but it wasn't on point so much as what ended up being the Supreme Court decision, which happened to happen right when Yitzi asserted himself. And I'm going to point out that, like, what's incredible about what Yitzi has done is he did it without the precedent of the Supreme Court of what they did now. He did it on the really like towards the we didn't know that this was coming down at the moment in his favor. So he really took a risk, which in my mind amplifies the Kiddush Hashem that he did and amplifies the idea of, you know what, you need to stand up for what's right and that's what it's all about. And there's no appeasement. If people say things and do things that are, you know, publicly affirming negative things against the religion, you have to stand up and do something. So and I thought about it and I told them my thoughts. I also said, listen, I'm obviously not a Pisic, so it makes sense to speak to Pisic as well. And the Pisic that he spoke to, a tremendous time, Chacham nationally loan. I won't say his name only because of the, uh, I'm not sure if that is the wise thing to do at the moment, but on a practical level, it was so passionate. Like this transcends, you know, whether it's Musela de Varavera, whether or not it's considered to be Lifnever, this transcends it because this goes to the heart of Judaism taking a stand against the wrong thing, which, by the way, happens to be Parshas Pinchas when all of this happened, when Pinchas took matters into his own hands because certain things are not scripted. When it comes to Chil Hashem, obviously you have to be qualified in order to make the determination. can't just do it willy-nilly, but, you know, you take matters to your own hand to do what's you know, the right thing. And that's what I think all things are about. Elliot, it's interesting, uh, your insight about the rainbow coming from destruction as opposed to peace. It's also uh, follows on which is a similar concept as to what is going on at this point. Okay, okay so so let's go back to, to Yitzi now. Yitzi, you turned down the order. What happened at that point? How did things go public? Because this should be something that's fairly simple. I don't feel I'm comfortable. I'm not comfortable turning down this order. And uh, you gave them plenty of time time before the uh, Pride Shabbos in order to fulfill their needs from other bakeries. I assume there are other bakeries in New Jersey. And uh, this somehow got public. I assume you didn't mention this to the news because it uh, seems to be 
uh, in many news outlets. So, so how did how did this uh, go public? From the best of my knowledge, um, uh, that original temple that had ordered um, that had put the order in some someone there or people there uh, decided that I was now the target of, of a boycott. Um, emails went out. I, I had gotten sent an email from one individual who had sent it out, I think, from the date stamp. I think it was on Shabbos, um, you know, announce, announcing the boycott, sending it out to what I understand later to be our family members who then disseminated it further and uh, got the clergy involved in those other te- in other temples in the area who jumped on this bandwagon and and for the progressive causes that they lead and so uh subsequent to that it, it made it into a local paper paper called not paper i think it's more of an on it's an online column called tap into uh west orange uh, but they have many different i think areas that have tapped into you know i, I don't know how that organization is run, but it, it, it covers a lot of local stories. Um, so they, they got their first, we didn't comment for the article, they called us up. Um, and then another one called the New Jersey Jewish News, they did an article. Um, again, we didn't comment, um, at which point somebody from the Gouda had reached out to me and said, you know, you know, maybe not commenting is not always the right thing either. So, um, so I, I decided that I would speak and i did speak to uh, two different publications that went out um, both of them being on the, the the left uh the forward and the jta um and they put out article which is basically factually correct um sometimes the way they draw things up is not 100 uh, uh and i can't but that's that's their that's their leanings and, I'm, and we know their leanings so um but and then it, from there it seemed to uh, a lot of a lot of other papers link off of those or those three the, um and so it really the story spread far and wide and um yeah we were we were inundated with calls from all over the place uh people giving us a yashikoa giving telling us that we made a kid shasham etc that, that's actually why why i called initially i called i said I, I my wife and i independently decided we wanted to start sending you business so we were gonna order from your uh, bake shop and start sending to relatives in New Jersey. So I spoke with your wife, I don't know if you know, and uh, I said, do you, do you have order shipments that we can start ordering from because uh, we want to send it around? And, and she said, oh, we don't we do not do that. So I guess second best is getting you on headlines so we can promote you this way for the people who are at least within 100 miles of uh, of West Orange. Well, I, I don't want people being much for themselves to, to, to come Eat to me. Matria. You know, and, and doesn't, need, doesn't need help. He doesn't need help to send me Parnassa. Parnassa comes from Nace, and, and, and he doesn't need my, he doesn't need, I don't, I don't want, I'm too much of a yucky. I don't want people going out of their way to come to me to buy bacon. Baruch Hashem, we're doing okay. Um, you know, it was just- the promotion to me. I'll do the promotion. So, so, you so, so Let me just add, let me just add one thing. I just wanted to add that when this thing was spiraling out of control in the beginning, they had these emails going out and they were boycotting. One email stands out and it was unbelievable. The guy writes, you can't, how can this happen between Jews one to another? What a chil Hashem in the fact that Yitzi, you know, refused to fulfill this order. And that's what the guy was saying about Yitzi, the chil Hashem, that he refused to be one to his fellow Jew, you know, nice one, you know, kindness from one Jew to the other. You know, and, and, and I'll add what Yitzi and I also, and Yitzi also said this and he amplified it, 
this is not a judgment on individual people. This is a judgment on the act. There are plenty of people that are born with all sorts of inclinations in life, and that's the challenge of a human being who lives. Every single person has their challenges. So if somebody has a challenge or an inclination, one direction or another, we're not talking about them. We're talking about people who act on it and on top of it, ask for a public affirmation of it. That creates the problem that Yitzi had in this situation. We're not coming out against individuals who, you know, if a guy has a problem stealing, he's a kleptomaniac. You know, we're not, you know, we're not judging that particular person. But just because you have a problem and you want to steal doesn't give you the right to steal or even worse, to make a public you know, message and basically, you know, tell people this is OK and I'm proud of it. Pride, yeah. you know, kleptomania. Yeah. So, so Ellie, along the same lines, and thank you for saying that uh, there was a, a uh, I think, conservative or reform rabbi, they gave a drush on this. And uh, he said that the sinas chinam has to stop as if it was uh, motivated by hatred. And I think that is totally incorrect. And I want to get your thoughts on this as well. I don't think your motivation, you see, was, was hatred. We can disagree with people's values and not hate the individual. And uh, I don't think that, if, from my perspective, this is a, a an item of hatred. But the fact that somebody disagrees with somebody else's values, that doesn't mean hatred is a personal thing. Disagreeing with values is, is a concept conceptual, halachic, hashkafic issue. And I think there's a significant difference. This isn't a matter of sinas chinam hatred. We don't hate you. We may love you. I don't know. But the values we find are inappropriate and prohibited. And and I think that's probably the, the, the issue going on here. Ellie, what would you say on that? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And what's interesting is, is you know, I was also that same, we'll call it a, a, a drasha. The, the idea was, and he said something very interesting there. He said, that he was thinking about what Yitzi said um, about the idea of, you know, of, you know, this is antithetical to Judaism. And he said his response was from last week's parsha of Naslavchat. Here, look at this, the Torah changes. And I'm like saying to myself, Akarj Baruchu said, this is this is the rule. I can't just make stuff up. They're admitting that it's pick and choose. They're admitting that we just get to do what we want whenever we want. And we decided the idea of Salam Elohim, and we decided that we're going to tell one person what to do and he has to listen to us. And I'm saying to myself, what gives you the right to do that? Can I force you to keep Shabbos? Can I force you to close the conservative synagogue down? These are antithetical. Obviously, these acts are all antithetical to, you know, to Judaism, but we're not forcing ourselves and telling you what to do. You're trying to force us on something which is pride. And I was talking to Yitzi about this. Do we have the, the idea of pride Orthodox month? I mean, is there pride for the, all the positive things that are happening in Orthodox Judaism? The guys of the Tamita Chacham, they're learning the base matters. Is there pride month for them too? So why do these guys who are doing something which is obviously completely not in sync with the Torah, why are they getting the pride aspect of it and nobody else's? Right. I, I think we should have pride all year round. This isn't limited. Kalali so should have pride in Torah all year round. Yitzi, tell me, you started talking about the reaction um, from customers. So how has it been with uh, existing customers? How has it been with uh, generating maybe new customers coming from the area? I'd love to hear. How far have people come from, I hope, in order to, to support the business? So so it, it's, it's been an adventure. What can I say? You know, the adventure of our lives. This is, um, it, it's it's humbling that people will, will will show i mean we had someone a couple of weeks ago who drove from scranton pennsylvania with his son 
got in the car and drove an hour and a half each way. So three hours of driving, I'm sure. Spent $35 in the bakery because you wanted to show support, It's which is really, you know, you spent that much in gas. Uh, it, it's really humbling. Um, we really, as I said, we don't we don't want people going out of their way to support it, but it, but it, it means a lot to us. Um, we've had people calling from all over. Um, we, we have had a couple of people, very, very few, who have, you know, who, who haven't been happy, but it hasn't been, um, you know, some of those people, I, mean, I guess they're just not coming in anymore. But I don't think we've lost too many customers um, on the retail side. In fact, I know there's a customer who shops by us, and my wife said, um, has continued to shop by us, who, who lives a lifestyle that wouldn't be sanctioned by the Torah. But you know, we, we treat everyone who walks in our door with dignity and respect. Um, and I like people. I like I like all people, not just Jewish people. I like Gayim as well. I mean, if I see someone and that needs help, I like to help them out if I can. So that, that that's my personality. So the idea that I'm hateful is is ludicrous, as Ellie said. I'm hateful of the the things the sin that are bringing down not just their lives but uh, all those around them what else uh, I, I have lost some customers unfortunately um on the commercial side like um some of the temples have decided that in the local in the area which is very unfortunate and re- because some of these places we've served for for maybe a decade or more or maybe two decades and you know you serve a customer with with honesty and with Putting your putting your best forward and 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 to be canceled for something that has nothing to do with the product that you're producing and and, and the service that you're providing and 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 that the reason they're doing it is because something that was private was made public to destroy my reputation and therefore since my private views are now public that's a reason that 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 my business should be hurt. And, and I say that, you know, that can go the other way around, um, as we see with Bud Light and many other uh, American companies, you know, Target has received the the other end, you know, temples have board members, um, board members have or have businesses, they have interests, maybe their interests should be targeted the same way my interests are targeted. Um, so it doesn't, this behavior is, is not just unproductive, it's, it's, it's hurtful to everyone. Um, and I think it's foolish. I, I, I hope that they realize the foolishness of that. But at the same time, I know that Akash Baruch provides my parnas. I'm not concerned about the loss of business. I'm happy that um, I was able to Baruch make it to that's that's that. So, so Yitzi, we'll start with you. F- final thoughts for our listeners. Final messages that you may have for them. Uh, I think I think we're you know I didn't pick this this battle the. the this is what came to my door, but I think I think we're all on the front lines. We come closer to Mashiach. I think that we're all on the front lines, and that everyone has their own individual battles battles that that they might have, and so we have to be mechazik each other and hope that we can all we can all we can all stay strong and and and, and this because because this is this is a war we're in. Very well said. Thank you so much. And Ellie, how about you? Final thoughts for our listeners. Yeah, I'll add what the Rambam says. He says, Oysis Amis Vipneshua Amis. And Yitzhi and I were talking about this. I think the idea here is 
yes, Yitzhi made a Kiddush Hashem. Yes, we hold, he, he's an unbelie- he did an unbelievable in, uh, act in doing so. But I think everybody in their own inside needs to analyze for themselves, what does God want for me to do now? And I think if there was more of that, then more of these type of things would be happening, not ones that are necessarily broadcast to the world. But you know what? I think that we're all faced with situations where we need to take a stand, a correct stand, even against ourselves in a way that will be basically promoting the MS, and that's what this is about in my mind. Let me give the big promotion here. Yitzi, West Orange Bake Shop, located at 480 Pleasant Valley Way, West Orange. Anyone who hears this advertisement, I'm going to call it my advertisement, from headlines, go in and say, I'd like to spend... 10% more. I don't want a discount. We're not going to have those typical give our name and you get a 10% discount. Go in and say, I want the headline special, add 10% to my bill. And Ellie Sarfati, Ellie, great having you on as well. Located in Muncie, New York. He can be located at 59law.com. The number's 59law.com. Thank you so much for both of you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Joining us now is Rabbi Mayor Tversky. Rabbi Tversky is a Rosh Hashiva at Reitz and is a popular and insightful speaker on Ashkafic issues and also ethical imperatives. Rabbi Tversky, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's, 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 it's very good to be here with you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to have you, Rabbi Tversky. So, Rabbi Tversky, I want to start start out with the fundamentals. Such a simple question. Maybe it's not such a simple question, but it should be a simple question. What is the Torah's definition of marriage? So, there are many dimensions to marriage, spiritual, emotional, physical, but the core definition of marriage is simple and unequivocal. Ki'ikach ish isha, a matrimonial bond between man and woman. That's it, period. Yes. So so Pasuk, literally in the Pasuk, but so Pasuk in terms of our question, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess that lends to the next question. If the definition is man and woman, if we talk about the same gender marriages, which is, I think, somewhat of a new phenomenon, at least for me, um, what are the Yisurim involved in a, a, a man marrying a man, a woman marrying a woman? We could talk about the marriage itself or continuing in the relationship thereafter. I, I am familiar with uh, certain marriages that happened in, quote, unquote, the Orthodox from community, uh, from women getting married together, from men ger- getting married together. And our definition seems to be kikach ish isha. So what are the Yisurim involved in a same gender marriage? To, to, to have a, a from same gender marriage is to have a kosher meal of lobster. It's 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 the equivalent. In in Pashas Achimos, Kamase Eretz Mitzrayim Ashi Yeshavtem Ba Lo Sasu, Uchmase Eretz Kanan Ashi Ani Mevi Eschem Shama Lo Sasu V'Chuchasem Lo Selechu. Don't act as 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 they do in in the land of Mitzrayim. Similarly, don't 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 imitate. The behavior of the Kna'aniyim in Eretz Kanaan. Chazal comment on, on this Pasuk and in the Torah's Kohanim that Lohoisa Uma Ba'umos Shehis Ivuma Sehem Yoser Minhamitsriyim Vahakna'aniyim. No nation has surpassed the Mitsriyim or the Kna'aniyim in terms of immorality. Chazal continue Umeho Yosem. What types of behavior do they engage in? Ha'ish no se la'ish, 
It's not a new phenomenon. And and the Torah refers to it, and the Torah prohibits it by saying, So those are lavim. They're folded into the lav of Yes. Okay, and, and there it's interesting. It's not simply saying that they had relationships. It says they, they got married together. They they they, they formalized they, they, they formalize the, the immorality. Interesting, very interesting. So if we take it the next step, and uh, some people pose this as a question, I've heard it asked as a question, some people pose this as an indictment against Orthodox Jews, and, and the question is as follows, this is what they say, I'm going to quote, why are we referring to Orthodox Jews? Why are Orthodox Jews so opposed to the LGBT movement as if it's worse than Chil Shabbos? Chil Shabbos. So would you say that's a correct statement? And if it is a correct statement, why would you say that uh, somebody who endorses or is part of the LGBT movement is worse than Chilo Shabbos? The, 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 the question is, is is a very important one to, to, to try to, to bring some clarity to the issue. Of course, we're, we're deeply pained and profoundly opposed to Chilo Shabbos. One would be hard-pressed to exaggerate the, the tragic, corrosive significance of Chilo Shabbos, and yet, the LG movement, in one respect, is much worse than Chilo Shabbos. I don't think any of us are aware of Mechal Shabbos who demand to be recognized as Orthodox Mechal Shabbos. They are Mechal Shabbos, but they recognize that that is decidedly unorthodox. By contrast, there's an ongoing, very aggressive campaign to legitimize and mainstream behavior, the practice of, of, of homosexuality, to have it accepted in orthodox circles as orthodox behavior. That's not only a, a, a tragic phenomenon, that's a very brazen phenomenon. And and in that sense, it's worse. It's it's looking to Rahman Litzlan change the Torah. It's looking to write psukim out of the Torah. Rabbi Tursky, we've been talking about the LGBT movement. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on the symbol that represents the LGBT movement. You see it all over the place. But the flag, the flag, you see the colors, the rainbow, etc. But the flag itself, you see when uh, there are parades and processions. And even when it doesn't relate to their movement, for example, when you see certain, uh, in Yerushalayim, uh, certain processions, their political statements, their uh, demonstrations and the like, and these flags pop up everywhere. So based on that, I'd like to get your thoughts on uh, how should we relate to these flags? How should we think about them? Is there something that is really problematic about it? It's just a flag. And uh, in that vein, how about when your child, a child sees these flags and they're walking by with American flags or Israeli flags and popping up is the rainbow flag. And they ask, what does that mean? Is this something that uh, is uh, harmful, harmless, detrimental, or should we simply ignore this symbol? Since the LGBTQ movement validates and celebrates Isurim, since it rejects Torah morality, so any symbol which it adopts becomes deeply offensive because it represents its ideology. And I think we all intuitively recognize that with regard to other symbols. You know, when in, in, in the 1960s, in, in the protests against the Vietnam War, so when they wanted to show complete contempt 
for the American government. So what did they do? They they would debase the American flag. Why? Because the American flag was and is the, the symbol of the of, of the country, of its government, of its laws. And and when they wanted to express contempt for the government, they expressed contempt for the symbol. So in that sense, a symbol is is meaningful. If you respect the symbol, so then you confer respect upon what the symbol represents. And when you reject the symbol, you reject what the symbol represents. And in that sense, a symbol of an ideology which is antithetical to Torah is something which is not harmless. It's something which is deeply offensive to us. Right. So what is one talk. what does one say to one's 10-year-old who sees it? So, you know, the answer has to be individualized. Not all 10-year-olds are the same in terms of how aware they are and how clued in they are to, to what's happening. You know, so maybe the answer is as general as, you know, it's it's a flag that people who are confused and unfortunately in their lack of knowledge do certain things which are against the Torah. It's a flag that they like to that they like to fly. You know, as as children get older, they they may need a slightly more detailed and and uh, and and fuller response. But you know, it 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 needs to be individualized to the to to you know to to to, to the child. Literally, Chanoch Lenar Al Pidarka. Right. So so the flags, the propaganda, it creates an environment. It does create an environment, and we see that uh, we are part of this environment, and, and it seems to be impacting us in some way. So I'd like to get your input. How do you see that this is affecting us, Shomrei Torah Mitzvahs? And in addition, given that that is happening, what should we be doing about it? Okay, such important questions. You know, human nature is such that whatever we see on a regular basis, whatever's commonplace seems normal to us. If, if I'll go out in the street and I'll see someone, instead of walking on his feet, he'll be walking on his hands. So that will seem highly unusual to me. If day after day, I see it again and again, and not only one individual doing it, but I see many individuals doing it, I'll become acculturated. It will seem normal to me. It will seem that some people walk on their two feet and some people walk on their two hands. And and again, I'm not looking, I'm not giving this as an analogy to anything, just as an example to what the dynamic is of exposure. What we're exposed to on a regular basis in our registers upon us as being something which is normal, unless we make a very concerted effort to remind ourselves that it's not normal, that it's not an, an equally acceptable alternative. The LGBTQ is omnipresent in, in our culture. And without that concerted effort to constantly be mischazek in recognizing it for the the, the for, for for what it is, so inevitably to varying degrees, we will and I'm afraid have to a degree already been affected. You know, not so long ago in in uh, in our lifetimes, I'm old, but not that old. If, if one would have conjured up the, the nightmarish possibility of, of a same gender marriage, 
No Orthodox Jew would ever, ever, even for a fleeting moment, have entertained the option of attending such a quote-unquote wedding. He would have viscerally, intuitively recoiled at, at, at that idea. He, he would have intuitively recognized a celebration of such a quote-unquote marriage for the Chil Hashem, which it is. And yet today, we have people, and you're talking that they're well-meaning. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to judge anyone. Hashem Yerolalevav. You're talking people who are well-meaning, but certainly misguided and ill-informed in all other respects. They conduct themselves as Orthodox Jews. They are Orthodox Jews. And yet, they do attend such such weddings. So it's clear that the omnipresence within our society of the LGBTQ has had a, a corrosive effect on us. And you know, the, the, the Torah warns against this. The, the Pasuk that we, we referenced before in the beginning of our conversation, Don't do, the Torah admonishes us, like they did in Mitzrayim, where you used to live. At this point in the Chumash, we don't know what Eretz Mitzrayim is. The Torah has to identify Eretz Mitzrayim. Remember the old the old hood? Remember the old hood, you know, where, uh, where, where you were in Slate? We know what Eretz Mitzrayim is. We, we don't need the Torah to identify Eretz Mitzrayim for us. And similarly, Uchmase Eretz Kanan, and don't do as they do in Eretz Canaan, where I'm bringing you the the, the, the promised land. We we know that the Torah has been talking about Eretz Canaan since uh, since the beginning of Sefer Beishis with Avraham Avinu. We know what Eretz Mitzrayim is. We know what Eretz Canaan is. Why is the Torah all of a sudden identifying it? Elamai, the Torah is telling us maybe you think you don't have to have your guard up against these Isurim. They're so obviously and blatantly wrong. I don't have to be concerned. No, some some things which I also so there's an allure, there's a temptation. But these are these are just so obviously wrong. No, you should know you were exposed to it. And what you're exposed to seems normal and maybe even seems attractive. And and don't take these isurim lightly. Don't think that compliance with with and with with these mitzvahs is something which can be which will come easily and has to be taken for granted. You have to be on guard. Why? Because it's Asher Yeshav Because for 210 years you lived there and were exposed to all of that. And now you're coming to Eretz Canaan and again you're going to see it. Asher Ani Mevi Eschem Shoma. And that's exactly the, the dynamic that the Torah warned us about is, is Rachman al-Etzlan, what's playing out before our eyes. Our visceral rejection of, 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 of these types of behavior is becoming eroded, Rahman al to to a certain degree in, 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 in certain segments. Yeah, so um, So the Meshachma says Kikarovhu is not proximity but their values and their culture is too close to what you had in Mitzrayim, and you need time to wean off of those values. Kikarahu, you need 40 years to get away from that in order to be able to go into Canaan. So very similar concept. And, and uh, on the des- desensitizing that, that the Rav mentioned, so I, I went to the, I was speaking with a very well-known mechanic, and uh, he's the head of a seminary, and he said he once got an email from one of his students, one of, one of the female students, who said she 
she's now in the workforce and she's having a very difficult time because of the nivel peh. And she doesn't know what to do. Please give me an Eitzah. And he was so busy, he did not have time to respond till about three months later. And finally, he got around to, he lost in his email, in his inbox, and he responded. He says, oh, how are things going? I have some Eitzahs for you. And she says, don't worry. It doesn't bother me anymore. And his response was, that's even worse because now you've been desensitized. And that's which is terrible, but nothing like we're talking about right now at this point. So uh, there's actually an, another story. When when uh, I, w- I was research- researching a book, so I talked to a number of, of women about their experiences in the workplace. And one was a Hasidic lady working with men. And she was once at a dinner with her family and she was texting and she was sitting next to her sister-in-law. And the sister-in-law said, who are you texting with at this point? It's late, late at night. And she said, with my boss, her male boss. And the sister-in-law could not believe, how are you texting with a male boss? outside of work hours. And and uh, the lady that I was speaking with, uh, getting this information, telling the story about herself, she said, I became desensitized and I lost it. I lost that sensitivity as what is proper and what is not proper. So it's exactly what you were talking about. So so yeah, the next question then is, so what do we do? How are we mechazek ourselves? We need, as you said, to, to be mechazek, also to seek to dispel ignorance and mischaracterization to learn and teach, to speak and disseminate the truth of Torah. We need to speak unabashedly. So here are some of the, the truths that, that we need to review, reinforce, and, and share. Most certainly, the Torah does not disparage individuals who involuntarily experience same gender attraction. The measure of a person is how he voluntarily behaves, not what he involuntarily experiences. Our communities should generate and and marshal resources to support our brothers and sisters in implementing their unqualified commitment to Shmiras Kola Mitzvahs. Another truth, we live in a historical era, era where Kfiyadatit Religious coercion is unwarranted, counterproductive, and wrong. We oppose any type of unlawful discrimination against gays and and all other self-identifying LGBTQT. At all times, we're guided by the dictates of the Torah's mandate, and implement that imperative as specified in halacha. Another truth. Homosexual behavior is absolutely categorically forbidden. In articulating this truth, we speak unapologetically, not aggressively. In speaking the truth, we cannot, must not soften formulations as a concession to political correctness. When prohibiting male homosexual relations, the Torah states, The Torah brands male homosexual relations are If we, Rachman al-Atzlan, intentionally omit that, so we're guilty, A, of the extraordinary sacrilege of censoring HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and B, softening the formulation inevitably weakens our conviction and opposition and, and leads to its erosion. Similarly, another truth, the conviction that homosexual behavior is immoral reflects Yerashamayim, not homophobia. The appeal to compassion, certainly at times it's, it's a very cynical appeal to compassion, 
brings to mind a comment that the Gemara makes in a different context. The Gemara there refers to someone who mourns excessively. And the Gemara attributes HaKadosh Baruch Hu the following. Maybe you'll argue that, that your mourning is reflects your Rachmanus, your compassion for the nifter, for the deceased. A human being can't be more compassionate than HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the source of compassion. He's the source of everything. He's the source of everything. He's the source of any, any Midah Tova. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, 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 is the source of that. It's not legitimate Rachmanus to or, or compassion to to advocate for something that Hakadosh Baruch Hu tells us is categorically forbidden, is injurious to the nefesh ruach u'neshama of of the people who would engage in in such behavior. It's it's very important part of our being mischazek and 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 trying to help others be mischazek. It's important to have historical perspective. We're, we're living in a time when there's a transient, nihilistic craze. We, we live in irrational times where the nihilistic assault on, on truth is such that, that not only religious and moral truth are denied, but even empirical, biological truths are, are, are denied. Which should be axiomatic. Which, for, for any rational person, Elokim Osa Esa Adam Yosha, any rational person who employs the rational faculty that Akhajbahu gave him without it being infected, without being brainwashed, is axiomatic. Is axiomatic. And 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 the, the, the assault on truth is is such that that even that is 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 controversial. But we need some historical perspective. This is something that past history already attests to and Undoubtedly, future history will judge as well that we're living in irrational times where just so many people are in the grip, again, of this transient, irrational craze. And, and we need to see it for what it is. That's all it is. And, and, and no matter how unpopular the truth of Torah may be today, that in no way diminishes the, the truth of, of, of Torah. If anything, it it, it 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 makes it more important and and more sacred because of the the, the widespread uh, denial and 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 the the pervasive confusion and and we need to have that historical perspective on on what we're living through. It's hard for a person, you know, you We're not here that long, and and it's hard to have that broader view and that broader perspective. But it's absolutely crucial that a person be able to step back and have perspective on the times he's living in and on the fads and the crazes which which reigns supreme in his day, and, and, and not allow himself to be swept away, or even influenced by these fads and crazes. And that's right. all this is. That's what we have to remember. This is our, our uh, the, the impact that we can have, the discernment, the wisdom of the Torah is what we have to, to uh, promulgate. And even if it's uncomfortable in certain uh, areas, but this is the MS. This is the MS. So, so if we put it in that, uh, that, uh, 
historical perspective, why, why do you think, what's your take on why this has had such a dramatic increase recently? It's looking at a Gallup poll, it's already a few years old, but it says that people who are between the ages of 18 and 23, about 16% of them identify as LGBTQ. It's probably higher at the point because this was back in, in uh, 2020. So what, what's going on here? I think that's a question that, that that needs to be addressed and answered on on multiple levels, um, and and most of those levels, I, I don't have the credentials or qualifications to to speak to. We, we need from B'nai Torah mental health professionals, to be addressing these issues to sort of give a um, a Malamid's perspective on it. So the Gemara says that Yitzro shall Odom mischadesh Allah b'cholyom. A person's Yitzahara is renewed daily. What, what does it mean? So part of what it means is is, is the following: We have a Yitzahara. We have a Yitzahara. We have an impulse for kedusha, for Tara, for kirva selukim to come close to Hakadosh Baruch But we also have an impulse. For Gashmius, for Tuma, for for crass hedonism, for impurity, which Rachman Litzlan distances us from Akadosh Baruch Hu. And these two Yitzarim, these two impulses, Zelumazelukim. Just as the Yitzah Hatov is insatiable, Soma Nafshi Lelukim Lekel Choy. It's it's a thirst that can't be quenched. Quenched. When David Amel says that he thirsts for Akadosh Baruch Hu. It's a thirst that can't be quenched. When when, when the Rambam depicts Avas Hashem as someone who's cholas ahava oni, quoting the phrase from Shir Hashirim, it, it means that that he's never healed because it's insatiable. So the, just as the Yetzah Tov is insatiable, if Achman Litzlan, we be it individually, be it collectively, societally, align ourselves with the Yetzah since there's a congruence, there's a symmetry, that's also insatiable. From a religious perspective, which needs to be supplemented with other perspectives in, in terms of finding out how we can best address this and best help people who are struggling with the issue. But from a religious perspective, so going back to the 60s, so then the the, the, the Eight Sahara made major breakthroughs in the heterosexual area, promiscuity, whether it was premarital promiscuity or even outright neof, even outright adultery, which were had been even in general society, those those moral tenets had been respected. So that that was eroded. And what we've been witnessing over these past fifty years is Yitzro Shal Odom Yom. The Yitzhahara is also insatiable. After the Yitzhahara conquers one 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 front, goes to the next front. And we've seen it even within the Rashatevas of the LGBTQT. That itself reflects a a progression. And and it's exactly what, what Chazal depict of the Yitzhah Shaladim Mishadish al Yom. And if if we don't reverse this trend, so the Yitzhah will seek new fronts also. Right. Rahman al 
Rabbi Tversky, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate all the insights. A, a little depressing, honestly, but uh, hopefully for the chizuk, with the chizuk, we'll be able to at least be able to guard ourselves in a better way. Thank you very much. Joining us now is Dr. Shloimi Zimmerman. Dr. Zimmerman is a licensed clinical psychologist who founded and directs Child and Adult Psychological Services. He is a world-renowned speaker and consultant to many nonprofits in the area of mental health. He also recently authored a relevant book called From Boys to Men. Dr. Zimmerman, I actually read this at night before I go to sleep, so thank you very much. I'm learning a lot, so I really appreciate you putting out that book. It provides a comprehensive approach to educating our young men regarding health and safety puberty, marital intimacy, and today's challenges to Kedusha. Very relevant for today's conversation. Dr. Zimmerman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you. Dr. Zimmerman, why don't we dive in and talk a little little bit broadly. We actually have a very sensitive topic, as you know, as I know. And uh, why don't we talk about values, secular values? It seems that we are being bombarded by secular values, especially in the realm of sexual preferences. Do you feel, you see it, you see it in the field day in, day out. Do you feel that Orthodox Jews are being influenced by those values? And uh, it's, it may be difficult to talk broadly about Orthodox Jews, but uh, maybe different communities are impacted differently. And if you do feel we are uh, being influenced, how are we seeing those influences? Okay, so just, uh, you know, I'd, li- I'd like to frame things briefly with the, some introductory remarks, just even in terms, like you said, this is a very sensitive topic. And I certainly consulted with, you know, my rabbayim and Das Torah, and there is a need to address this publicly in the proper context. And also before we talk broadly, we do have to remember that there are really individuals and families that are deeply, deeply troubled and struggling with these matters. And in no way are the broad spectrum conversation points in any way a lack of sensitivity or denigration of them in their struggle in any which way. They need a tremendous amount of love and empathy and support and proper guidance. But we do have a broad spectrum societal issue that needs to be addressed for the cloud. And so I'd like to address it in that way. In terms of your specific question, you know, my my grandparents were all uh, European Holocaust survivors and Baruch Hashem they made it here to America, but they're no longer with us. But I think if, you know, you were to bring any of them back today and look around even our from societies, they would scratch their heads as to what's going on in terms of the spending, the fashion, technology, and our value system. And, and, and it's clear that the environment and society we are in impacts us. The Rambam, you know, described the tremendous influence societies always have on us and why we have to be so careful about the society we live in. But perhaps most poignantly for, for our discussion, maybe the measures by Parshas Noyach about how when the world around becomes corrupted, even the animals and even the ground, the top layer of the earth became corrupted by societal influence. So, so we sadly are not immune and we're definitely dealing with the ill effects of societal influence. Uh, I'll tell you a, a recent in- anecdote that speaks to this. Um, not so long ago, I got an email from one of Rabbi Aaron Feldman's Shlita's Talmudim. Rabbi Aaron Feldman, Baruch Hashem, graciously wrote the forward to the book in Askama. He was deeply, deeply involved. So I got an email of somebody saying he's a Talmud of his, and would it be okay if he spread the Rosh Hashiva's forward online? So I was thinking, I said, I know the Rosh Hashiva wants it spread. So 
Here, I send it to him. But it reminded me later in that week that, okay, Baruch Hashem, I should really give the Roshiva some knockouts. She give an update that the second printing was out of print. So I, I call the Roshiva, and immediately he picks up, his, and, and I hear that he's very distressed. And he says to me, Shlami, the whole world's gone mad. And I was like, oh, boy, uh, I, I don't know where this is headed. So I, I say to the Shiva, you know, what's the Shiva referring to? So he says, you know, you told me you, you sent this for my Talmud. My Talmud didn't tell you what, what happened? I said, no, no, no. There she, he asked for their she was forward. I, I sent it. I, I didn't ask any questions. So he says, do you know who this Mr. Beast is? At that point, I realized I don't know where this is headed. So I, I just stay quiet. <laughs> and Dershiva tells me, Mr. Beast is this YouTube star. He, Dershiva quoted he had 120 million YouTube subscribers. While Dershiva's talking, I'm frantically Googling. Turns out he has you know 160 million at the time. He's closer to 170 million right now. And he says, Mr. Beast, as is, you know, all the children watch this and he's, you know, transitioning from a man to a woman and all the yeshiva children know the prate pratim of how this happens. So I'm Googling while the yeshiva is talking and I find out okay, it wasn't Mr. Beast himself, but one of the people who contributes to his show was in this process of transitioning and yeshiva kids, not now, now again, different communities have more or less access, but within the place that YouTube is accessible, Mr. Beast was quote unquote considered kosher and uh, here, all these children now, knowing these details, Sarvan said, we need to give tremendous hadrafa. We need to give our values. It's pervasive that they're learning about these things of men becoming women, women becoming men, how that happens, what you do. So that was just uh, an anecdote of the situation. I've had this chus of working hand in hand with many of the gedolim and rabbonim and you know, the broader mental health community, and every single one will say there isn't a, a, a community within our community, whether it's Hasidish or Litvish, Ashkenaz, Sephardi, New Jersey or Yishalayim, almost every moisin in every community today is dealing with this at some level, whether it's one of the mishpachas, some influence that they had, something that triggered it. And, and the honest truth is, you can't shop online. Recently, it was Pride Month. All the apps and every online shop was in a rainbow color. And then if you walk into a Walmart or a Target or you walk outside, you see all this, even the way items are sold today are talking about, you know, gender and pride and all of these issues. So um, this is something that we have, we, we are faced with on, on all fronts. Wow. I, I had never heard of Mr. Beast, but uh, that is fairly beastly to hear about that. Um, it, it, just, just take a step back, uh, thinking about this. Does this represent something a little bit deeper that's going on in society? Maybe there's a new uh, underlying belief or value system, or maybe more appropriately, a, a rejection of a belief or value system that's spurring on these, let's call it individual liberties, uh, particularly when we talk about the LGB, we'll focus on the T because that seems to be the most egregious one of them, transgender that we see today. So is there something more fundamental going on here or is it just a situation of Hutrilo? You know, again, this already becomes commentary, but what seems clear to me is that there's been a total abandonment and an attack on truth forgetting anything else, uh, let alone HaGadosh Baruch Hu, a Boire, a Torah, and even what was generally societally accepted values. Today, there's a total move away from that. There was a movement away from what was called the theocentric values, where, where God and religion were center, and instead they put man at the center, and you deny a creator a plan or a true purpose, and everything is about the man, and it became not only even as a communal person, but as an individual. There's a tremendous emphasis on the I, 
on the ego, you know, and there's been in, in terms of rates, narcissism has been increasing dramatically. And there's also been a tremendous level where we years ago, I talked about my grandparents, you know, post Holocaust there, they had very little emphasis on feelings. You know, if you ask my grandfather how he felt about something, that was a strange question because it was what you had to do or didn't have to do. And, 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 and I think we did suffer some effects of that, but overall they rebuilt Yisrael. Now there's almost a swing to the opposite extreme where there's feelings worship. Everything is measured based on my personal feeling. How do I feel about it? How happy is it? Forget if there's actual reality, it's right or wrong, it's truth or falsehood. It's how I feel. And that is how I feel or how happy I am. That is the center of the universe. And really that has led to very problematic things. A person doesn't have to look at their internal deficiencies or just what, just focus on the outside is the world treating me properly or not, it's helped create this woke culture and this victim culture where there's a sense, there's no Bechira, there's no responsibility, there's no accountability. The world owes me, they owe me reparations. These are the conversations of today. The old values of morality and ethics and living up to something greater and having to put yourself into something bigger than you, uh, those have been flipped. And that has actually changed. And, and what's frightening for me as somebody who dedicates my life to mental health and the treatment of mental illness is that psychiatry and psychology have really been at the helm of this woke culture and the victim culture. And they give a special legitimization and actually are fostering this whole trans movement. And they're ushering children and families along these actual barbaric and dangerous treatments in the name of this new value of, oh, if you don't feel you're in the right body, then let's go and change the body. So instead of working on your mind to help you deal with your body, we're going to say, no, I could do anything. There's also tremendous, you know, we have technology and we feel so, okay, your, your feelings don't match the reality. So instead of it used to be, okay, so you, you had a problem and you have to fix your thoughts and feelings today. We have technological advances. We'll change the reality to fit what you want. It's really an oilam hafuch on the highest, highest levels. Now, you did mention at the beginning the necessary sensitivity to the individuals that do have uh, certain proclivities, inclinations. So how do you meld it with certain individuals having those proclivities to having a movement? And maybe it seems that uh, sensitivity necessary to certain people, not to other people. So how, how do we think about this? So I, I wouldn't try to say sensitivity to certain people versus not other people. I think we have to deal sensitively with all people. And I think we, we cannot really determine with, you know, even even people what's called have psychogenic illness. That means it's not a caused by a physical issue, but it's caused by a psychological issue. They're experiencing very real symptoms. Somebody who experiences gender dysphoria, feels that they're in their own body, they are suffering. Whether that was really because they're in the wrong body, which I don't believe to be true, or that society has given this message, they are suffering and they need help and they need sensitivity and care. And we have to realize that each person is an oil and mole, and we have no idea what the level of challenge and the sayin and suffering that a lot of these individuals and families go through. I, I've spoken to many of them, and they, they are tormented people and tormented families with, with a, so much lack of clarity around them. So they need a tremendous amount of empathy and support and help, but they also need very careful rabbinic and professional guidance, not politically motivated or agenda-driven guidance, but at the same time... Um, giving them what they might want to hear in the moment or just what is promulgated in society, I don't believe is helping them. I see where I think that by the attempts at being quote unquote compassionate and nice and giving them a sense of non-reality and making what's 
totally false truth for them. You're not doing anybody any favors. You're not being sensitive. And the actual for confused children and families, the information and support vacuums within our world is dangerous because they're going to go look outside. So we have to get uh, our identities and our ideas and our chinuch clear so that we can really help them properly to get out of this tremendous pain and suffering that they're experiencing. Okay, so that's what I really want to focus on. There seems to be a lot of confusion. Certain people do have real issues, but many people seem to be sucked into the trends and environment and atmosphere. And the question then is, as, as you started talking about, how how do we strengthen our values um, for those people who are getting influenced, at least the environment, becoming desensitized to this because the, in the, in the environment, and to those people that maybe are a little bit open to this, uh, maybe they're getting convinced, maybe I'm something that I'm not, how do we strengthen their values? How do we strengthen our identities and the identities of our young children uh, so they don't look for alternatives? So obviously that's a massive, massive question. But, you know, some of the relevant areas that I, I think I could talk to, which really my book was not about LGBTQ issues really at all, but much more basic even in terms of talking to children about uh, their body changes and puberty and adolescence and, and, you know, sexuality and these kind of issues that everybody's going to face. And even that was an enormous challenge to be able to do that and to get Rabbanim on board finally. But there is the sense, at least of the Das Terror who is for that, that we have to do more. We have to be much better at articulating our values. We have to have more real and authentic conversations and teaching about the issues today's children are actually confronted with or they can hear about. So today, we, you know, a kid is eventually going to turn to the Internet uh, for values if we don't provide them. So and, and it's sad for me that only certain Rabbanim or, or, or mostly the less mainstream yeshivas tend to address mental health even broadly. Forget these hypersensitive topics, but even broadly, mental health issues, you know, anxiety, depression and self-esteem and perfectionism. And, and again, then getting into puberty and these changes very few places deal with that head on. And the children are left to grapple with these things and they suffer with them. And somebody in their family is cannot no family uh, in Kali. So that's not dealing with some mental health or addiction challenge. And where else are the kids going to get education from, if not from their parents and or yeshivas? And the real message, I think, is we can absolutely discuss anything with children. It just needs sensitivity and an approach how it's done. And in fact, there's no greater riot than that than the Torah itself. The Torah is an exceedingly open safer that teaches every subject matter is there. It talks about everything. Now, obviously, it's Snua because it's the Torah, but on Yom Kippur, before Ne'ilah, the, the Kriya Torah that we would read, we would think before Ne'ilah, what would we read about? We read about some unbelievable connection, Yom Tov, meeting the Ebishter. We read about the Arias, which ends up talking about, uh, you know, Mishkav Zohar, Mishkav Behema. You know, so we could address everything and anything, but it has to be done in the right way. And one of the messages in the book and from the Gedolim is that ignorance is not innocence. You're not, wow, you're such a Reina Bakr because you don't know Chumash Rashi, because you don't know Kedushin or Ksubis. Chalila to say such a thing. And it's really imperative for us to realize we don't have the liberties that they might have had in the shtetl. Our kids are going to hear. Well, even if you have the most, you know, no internet or filtered internet or no exposure, it just takes one kid or one, like I said, even a walk into a Walmart and he has exposure. So we need to proactively educate children about the issues they're going to hear and face.
And, it, you know, it, it comes out when we don't address even the tire properly, then things can get really confusing. I was recently speaking uh, in another country and well, actually one of the Mechanchem I was talking to, he said a story with his own son. And, and it was pretty ironic because I was talking about this, this broader topic. And he said, so the are and I think Taich, you know, the, that Arias are... A, a fake marriage or a problematic marriage. So then finally he was learning, uh, I think it was Kedushin with his son. And then he came to the issue of Arias and he said, the Gemara says that Kedushin doesn't work by them. So if the problem with Arias is that it's a fake marriage and marriage doesn't work, what's the problem with Arias? Nothing's chal, nothing happens. So uh, you're good. So uh, now this father said to me sheepishly, like, okay, wow, well, he had to re-educate his child as to what the real problem with Arias is. Now there's a way to do that. But more importantly than, than you know, the, the central issues of around my book, it's that the kids need a sense that we have a way of giving a core identity that is sensitive and compassionate. But sensitive and compassionate doesn't mean that you lack discipline and accountability and responsibility. And, and that is a crucial message that our children need to be able to understand that all of the discipline and all of the accountability in the Torah is all coming from Chesed. The LGBTQ movement has what really changed the world, maybe in the, one of the most rapid movements in all of history, because they took the banner of empathy and compassion and support. And we have to show how that when you have empathy and compassion and support without any limits or boundaries, you are going to destroy the world. And, and there's no greater evidence than what's happening, that they're actually tragically butchering children and, and, and removing their body parts in the name of this compassion. And, and yet, the, you know, there's more mental illness than there ever was. So this idea that, no, they don't have halila, monopoly in any which way on kindness and compassion. There is nothing more that is derecher dachenoyim than the Torah, but we need a way to articulate how the derecher dachenoyim applies, even when there are limits and even when there are boundaries. And even when now we're, 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 we're in Dulles and we're, we're during the difficult Bena Mitzarim period, that even that is all coming from a Shorish of Chesed, but not just in Shmuzim. How that applies when I have anxiety, when I have depression, when I have confusion about my feelings. All of that needs to be integrated in the broader Hashkafas Hachai. Now, you, you mentioned that uh, not everything is a chesed. So we, we do say the Shemon Esrei at the beginning, Gomel chasadim tovim. It doesn't say Gomel chesed, Gomel chasadim tovim. Some chasadim are good chasadim, and some chasadim are not good chasadim. They're not good chesed. And I think that's HaKotosh Baruch was Gomel chasadim tovim. But we got to be careful about the chesed. Some is good, but some, although it's viewed as a chesed, it's really not a positive thing to be doing. I, I do want to go back to one line. I think it's a very powerful line. You said, ignorance is not innocence. And to quote your book, I, I uh, now I'm becoming a buddy in, in, in your safer. So what I was surprised there was two things about it. One was uh, being proactive at fairly young ages, younger than I would have expected in educating our children and also the detail that's given over to the children. Now that's talking about in the normal context, talking about maturity and, and the like. Would you say the same thing when it comes to this LGBT movement that we should be proactive at a somewhat younger age and give detail or... How, would, how should we go and approach that? So I think it's a very interesting question. I, I think in, in, in my book, because we're addressing everything that is totally normative, 
and what we learned that children, the vast majority of children uh, will find out what marital intimacy is and even to be able to learn, like we talked about the Mesechtas, let alone Chumash Rashi, the Mesechtas that they're learning, but they're going to find out very few people today will will, will say that, the, you know, the first time a bacher or a girl finds out these things is in their Kassan or Kala classes. The vast majority know that it's coming from somewhere else, so it's much better if it comes in its purest form, actually at a young age when it's very much in an intellectual form, but more importantly than the, than the the content, it's the connection. You see, this is crucial and it's crucial for the LGBT thing. It's not so much about the information in the Pratim or do you use Zimmerman's openness or not? You know, we could be mafakfake on how young or how open, but the idea that our children should feel they have the connection with somebody who could talk to them about real topics, the, the topics that end up in the shadows, the topics that they hear about on the playground or on the street or in the internet, those are what we need to serve as say, no, 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 you don't need to go somewhere else. I can be here for you and I will not shy away from anything. That doesn't mean I'm going to bombard you with details. And no, I don't think that young children need to know about all the details about, you know, uh, transgenderism and, and how uh, a boy changes into a girl or vice versa. Um, but I do think they need to know, uh, my parents, there is nothing that I can't talk to them about. They demonstrated to me, not that they're on high and far removed from my life, that they'll get into difficult things. And whether that's sexual abuse prevention or whether that is the articulation about intimacy and puberty and drives, if they sense from us, oh, these, my parents and Rabbeim and Mechanchem are totally connected to me and they're absolute sources on information for everything, then if they get exposure, they can come to us. I do think that the more we talk about just the general giving a flavor that adolescence is a period of tremendous confusion and body change, and that accompanies a lot of confusing feelings. So if we preempted that and let them know, you know, that it isn't supposed to be a pushed, simple time, there are going to be a lot of changes and it's okay. And that's normal. It's normal to have confusion. It's normal to have change. It's normal to have drives that all of a sudden you didn't have before, or that are even connected to your, that helps them put it into a context of, oh, I have all these changes in my body and all these different feelings, but my parents talk to me very blatantly about it. And I know it's normal versus, oh no, I'm feeling something very strange. There's a total silence, which speaks volumes in the firm world. So I can't go there. So let me go find out what this is about. And Hashem Yirachim, if they go elsewhere to find out what their confusion might be about, because that might enter them into a world that we really don't want them to go into. Right, very good. So one of the goal, the main goal that you were saying now is to establish that relationship with the child, a relationship of trust, and so you can be an address for them. Now talk about other goals that we have in educating our children and, and also educating ourselves when it comes to this confusing world that we're living in right now. So I, I think as we discussed before, you know, the, the world today has gotten so much into the individual, into the ego, and so much on a focus on, on just feelings. And I think we need to go back to creating a chinuch about that integrates empathy and compassion, but responsibility and accountability. We have to give children today are desperate for a higher form of meaning and purpose. You have a higher calling. Get out of yourself. Get out of your ego. Not by, oh, you don't exist or you're bad. That's not what we mean by bitl hayeshus or getting rid of ego. You sense that, no, 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 you are a neshama. You are connected on high. All this noise about I want, I feel is really the atzas hayetzer trapping you into going away from your true feelings, which are to connect to yourself at the deepest levels, to others and to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And to have a sense of a life of purpose and serving. Even as your Chaim Velozhin famously said, that 
the ultimate purpose of man is not to serve myself. How happy am I? You know, what, what's gratifying me in the moment, but as a life of service to others and to the Bayre Oilam. And then when you sense what a person, a human is capable of living for something beyond themselves, being there for others, that actually is the best way to produce happiness. The problem is that they promise, the, the secular world is promising if you pursue happiness and pleasure, you'll get it. And it turns out it's the exact opposite. Not only do you not have real meaning and purpose in that way, you won't even end up with happiness or pleasure because you'll have these fleeting and illusionary, illusory feelings of physical pleasure, but you'll end up with psychological and spiritual deficits and misery. Happiness cannot be the pursuit. It can only the, be the byproduct of a life well lived. So, and we can demonstrate, now we, we don't sit and bash the secular world. We, we, it's much better to to show the light, but it is Kedai, just look around. What happens when you live in a world that's taiva, and believe there's no Tachlis or Bechira, that people are at a loss. They're, they're scrambling around. So they're grabbing this compassion, you know, uh, for, for gender ideology, but really it's because they're at a loss for the real. And if we can have can kids connect at the deepest level, who you truly are is a neshama. And a neshama might have more masculine and more feminine aspects. And, but your job is to bring out the light of your neshama in that way. And if you live that way, it's not a suppression of self. That is the greatest expression of yourself when you're living in the proper tire fashion. But when you're going to go to just say, no, everything is liberalism and wokeism, and you can try to see how was I hurt and how can I be happy in the moment, not only will, will you lose all the values that people throughout history gave up their lives. Like the famous people say, you know, you only have something to really live for if you have something you're really willing to die for. And our kids need the sense that something, what would I be willing to die for? Meaning, what is the ideals? So, and today we think, oh, the kids are shvach. It actually is that we have to call them higher. And when we give kids a sense that, no, you're, you're capable of much more, you could develop yourself. We're not going to call you with this self-esteem movement was one of the biggest failures of all time. Everybody wins a gold star. Everybody's great. Didn't do anything for anybody. The idea that you are a neshama, so that is beyond words of how fashiv that is. But now go manifest that neshama in the world. Go connect truly to your neshama, truly to others, and truly to Hashem. If we get a chinuch that was really based in that, and we didn't deny all the Sahara aspects, all the fact that I'm full of jealousies and pleasure-seeking and taivis and kinna and sinna, right? We, we pretend, we try to cleanse those and we edit them out of our books. We edit them out of our stories. Our kids need to know, no, my real human lived experience that I want to murder my brother and I'm lusting after that person on the street and I want that newest gadget that's all perfectly normal. And while you're here, it's not a mistake you have those drives, is to uplift all of those drives. When the chinuch becomes fully real and authentic, and I'm integrating the choshech with the R, and I'm seeing how I can uplift that, then our kids are safe and they have healthy, strong identities. When we pretend everything is just perfect, you're davening, you're learning, you're tznuah, what happens when something goes wrong? Then the, the floor goes out from under them, and they feel they have nothing, and they turn to the Goyesh to find out, oh, what's this about? And then they're down a path that Hashem Ishmael was incredibly hard to get them off of. Be real, in other words. Be honest, Absolutely. be real. Absolutely. Very, very powerful. Now, you did mention gender ideology. These are new phrases in our world. We have so many new terms that are coming out all the time as there's so many new inventions here. And if you think uh, back thousands of years, Brias Olam, a man was a man, a woman is a woman, and uh, there was no 
doubt about that. I remember my father used to say there are two definitive things in life. One is taxes and one is death. And he didn't even have to say that a man is a man and a woman is a woman because that was so partial. But it's not so partial nowadays. So what, what do you... what? How can you explain this new psychology of gender ideology that maybe you're not what you were biologically born to be, that maybe there's a difference between sex and gender? How do we come to grapple with this and the whole, a lot of the psychologists and uh, the, the psychology agencies and institutions that are behind this? So how, how do we come to terms with this? So again, th- 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 this is a massive topic in its own right, but I, I think the idea, right, that we could separate your biological sex from your gender has its roots in that whole psychology frame of reference that really everything is just what's put upon you. And this problematic, patriarchal, you know, damaging society has put these toxic messages on you and you can really live your authentic self. If only everybody will still suit to it. And What's frightening is, you know, there are certain things that are just, you know, not true. It's a white lie, a falsehood. This view is not just that gender is not connected to biology. It's not not true. It's anti-truth. Now, I I think it's always better the Zelut Mazef. From the Torah perspective, the literal opposite is true. Uh, Rabbi Dr. Akiva Tatz expresses this greatly, uh, but very bekitzer. We have the concept of Sako Bairaiso Vari Alma. Because there is a difference between a Zohran and a Keva, with male being a multi-potential source of creation, and female meaning the vessel that holds creation and develops that potential. So the right, and so in other words, the male corresponds to the Mashpia, the female to the Makabel, right? So that is how everything in the world is built from a you know the Mashpia and Makabel aspects, and the biology follows that, where the male goes outward and produces seed in the billions, and the female is a receptacle and receives just with one egg at one time. The biology was based on what it means to be male and female on the highest spiritual origins. So here they literally flipped it on its head entirely. And it's how you talk in that even for those of us who are living in this society and who work with this, it's, it's unbelievable. Now we have this idea that LGBTQ messaging is that your sexual preference, who you want to have Tashmish with, that's completely biologically based, a.k.a. You're, you were born that way. That was what they were screaming for a decade. Now they say, whereas gender is completely culturally based, a.k.a. you're not born that way. It's irrelevant how you're born. So that is completely anti-truth, you know, and that's what the Rambam refers to as Chalei Nefesh is Mar Mosuk Mosuk Mar that, you know, things could be flipped entirely and there's become a celebration of denying reality. And that is highly problematic. The exact origins of that, I think I alluded to a little bit, this hyper-focus on self, this hyper-focus on victimization, the sense that everything is caused outside, that a person has no fear and just has to be liberated. These are, you know, much longer topics, but it's very problematic. And from, again, we can learn from the Torah that, even if somebody Taka has a more masculine or feminine nishama or personality traits, the surum of Lois Silbash and not sterilizing oneself all apply. And additionally, according to Mois Poskim, you know, I'm not here as, as a rabbinic authority, but the, the changes are not halachically permissible or valid. 
So that means that from the Torah perspective, the person absolutely needs to learn how to adapt to the body Hashem gave them. But even within their world, you know, they really don't like this, but there's something called the gender equality paradox. That is in the places that are most egalitarian and you take away all the societal pressures, what you actually find is from what they, what they wanted to find is that there you see the biggest differences between males and females, both personality-wise and occupation-wise, meaning that, that their Havamina is that it's all society pressure. So if you became more egalitarian, you should see men and women being the same. It turns out if you're more egalitarian than the biological-based, higher-based, spiritual-based differences between men and women are actually heightened. And the places that have the most egalitarian policies have the most differences between men and women. And even the people who didn't buy that, and even the places that ran into this gender-affirming therapies and care, they used to treat, you know, kids who were very, very young, two, three years old, saying they were in their own body. And that represented a tiny, tiny percentage of the world. Now they saw up to 5,000% increase in people coming, but not coming like that, coming right before puberty or during puberty. And there's a entirely different patient population that was presenting to these clinics. And even the places that push this, the Tavistock Clinic and Finland have all changed course. The Tavistock Clinic has been shut down because they realized we're pushing kids down this thing. Most of them, oh, unbelievably, up to about 98% of them had other psychiatric illness, anxiety, depression, cutting. Many of them were autistic, Hashem Yerachim, and they were being pushed into, no, if you get these surgeries, you'll be okay. Some of the real gender ever believe that they'll cure your autism if only you're put in the right body. So you have an anti-truth, but even these places learn the hard way. There's thousands and thousands of lawsuits that they realize that much of the time this care not only didn't help, it made it worse. And many of them are stopping. But here in America, especially, no, there's a push. We'll ignore all the evidence and all the hesitation and we'll keep going forward. No, it's just not enough of affirmation. And they're destroying, butchering, and sterilizing children. And it is, it is appalling on every single level that the American Psychological and American Psychiatric Associations are no longer scientific or medical institutions. They are now political arms of left-wing ideology and pushing people down these paths that are leading to absolute destruction, let alone to the degradation of society at large. Wow. That's uh, that, that's scary. That's absolutely frightening. Dr. Zimmerman, just to conclude, an AIDSA, a thought to those who are raising children and maybe experiencing challenges in these areas, or at least um, being influenced in some way by by these movements, maybe a, a strategy or a message that you have for either the, the children or the parents of the mechanchim that are dealing with these situations. So first of all, always what's much more important than anything we say is how we act. And the children who we act kindly and empathically and we don't force into our little narrow boxes. Unfortunately, we're victims of our own success. We have hundreds of thousands of children living as B'nai Torah. But the chesaron of that is you get to slice and dice. Okay, you have to fit into this exact narrow band to be in this class, in this yeshiva, in this maizah. And the problem is that Hashem made everybody an oilam malay, and each person is a yachid. And the there's nobody who says it better than the wisest person of all time, We have to give the kids a sense, you're chashiv as you are. Okay, you're, you're a girl with a little bit more of a tomboyish personality. You're a bit more assertive or aggressive. You're a boy who's more sensitive. You know, in Barshem, we have therapists today. So the boys who are, you know, a little bit more neurotic and a little bit more touchy-feely, they have a profession to go into. But 
in general, the sense that you can be, you have something to contribute. You're not a Chaz There's no mistake in who you are. Let's find where your uniqueness and your unique neshama sings and how to use those kaitas. Any talent or proclivity Hashem gave you can be used in the proper context. So if the children were treated that way, we would have much healthier children. Obviously, we could also talk and messages that, again, are much more real, are much more authentic. You know, you know, I, I talk about this all the time, particularly in my book. You know, aside for infancy, when do children need us the most? When are they going to have the most challenges? When they need the most genuch? Most people agree during these pre-adolescent, adolescent years. And what do we do? We close our eyes and we we'll say, I'll walk you down to the chuppah. Let me know when that takes place. We have to step up. We have to show up. We have to be there and be real authentic about all the issues that we're faced today. We used to show we're not afraid of anything. The Torah doesn't have to hide Klai doesn't have to hide. We have messaging, we have values, we have an articulation to give you on any parsha, on any sugya that involves the human. And we have something, not just, oh, you're going to have a better life in Olam Haba. You know, oh, you'll sacrifice here, you'll live miserably here, but you get Olam Haba. You want the most wholesome, healthy, psychologically attuned life of positivity, of connection, of bonding to, to your true essence, to others, and to Kodesh Baruch Hu, it's all here. And if you know what, and if it's like Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky Zatzal said, if it's not Noyam, it's not Tayr. We have to help them see the Ni'imus and experience that at the highest levels. And we do need to start, like with my book emphasizes, there are social emotional curriculums like, like that. You know, we need to be including more about mental health, more about identity, more about the confusions, more about the struggles that today's youth have and be very raw and real and authentic. And then our kids can be much healthier. And those who we see at early ages, let's say they're high on neuroticism, meaning they have more of a predisposition towards anxiety, towards depression. We see kids struggling. Instead of just promoting them to the next grade, to the next grade, and waiting until the, the thing blows up, we start to identify them earlier and get them help earlier and let them help find their way because they're going, we know that they're going to have a much harder time. The world is going to be much more challenging for them, much more difficult. So instead of waiting, waiting until it's just been too difficult for them, we go along and preemptively try to help them and try to tailor the environment to them. And to those who are already, you know, struggling with these kinds of issues in particular, we have to realize that we need to be extremely empathic and supportive, but that doesn't mean we play into non-reality or contagion or anti-truth. This is a mind-boggling thing that therapy is now about affirming. Halila, that therapy should be about affirming anything, let alone affirming mental illness. If an anorexic came into a therapist's office, would they affirm, yes, you're, you're very fat, let's go we'll put you on Ozempic or, 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 or schedule you for a liposuction, that the person would, should be put in prison, right? If a person is, uh, comes in psychotic and they think they're Mashiach or the Queen of England, we don't say, oh, let's ship you up to Buckingham Palace or get you a donkey and a shoifer, right? Those are two categories where we put you in a hospital against your will. And, and, and even this thing, oh, but they, they, this whole threat of suicide, that's a parashat with neatsmai, but if somebody says, you know what, I'm going to commit suicide unless I cut off my arm or leg. You say, okay, let's schedule them for an amputation, affirming care right away. You say you would tackle them to the ground and you would put them in a hospital and heal their mind until they don't want to cut off their arm or leg. So this whole thing is really, really pathological. We need to help people realize how they could fit, how they could have an identity that works with their internal feelings and drives. 
give them something more and giving a general message in society that your, your identity is not your, your sense of how gender specific you are or your sexual preferences. An identity is much more than that. You know, a stable identity rooted in the Nisham or you want to call it the seed of consciousness or that part of us that, that is always well deep inside of us. There's a chalik of us that is always healthy and good and okay and we can return to. And we always want to give kids a sense you are not your thoughts and feelings. You have thoughts and feelings. You are something way beyond that that transcends all of this. And if we tap children into that, they can be happy, healthy, productive, and, and serve something much broader than their happiness, that they could have a sense that I'm here when my birthday was the day Hashem said the world is incomplete without me, right? And I can go and find my uniqueness and contribute to myself, to my family, to, to the Kehillah, and to Kla Yisrael broadly. That is the deepest messages I think we need to convey to all of our children, starting at very young ages, so that they can handle the difficulties and unprecedented concerning and anti-truth messages that they're going to be bombarded with on some level. So in a nutshell, let's not hide from the issues, but deal with them. A, proactively. B, sensitively. C, but with seichel and honestly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Zimmerman. I have learned a lot and want to thank you so much for being on the show and writing the safer and writing the safer. You should be Zoha to continue printing them more and more as people buy them out. Thank you so much, Wasserman. Thank you for hosting such an, a wonderful tire program that is so broadly listened to and has such hashpa and provides these topics for the Tzibur that we so desperately need. Thank you so much. Joining us now is Rabbi Zvulin Schwartzman. Rabbi Schwartzman is the Rosh Kolal of a prominent Kolal in Yushalayim. He's the son of the famed Rosh Yeshiva of Beis Talmud, Rabbi Dov Schwartzman Zatzal, and the grandson of Rav Aaron Kudler, the founder of BMG. Rabbi Schwartzman, thank you so much for joining us. It's always, I would say, a pleasure or an honor to be able to just uh, join Rav Ari Wasserman when, when he's trying to show the way of Torah to, to the broader public. Uh, thank you, Rabbi Schwartzman. Very appreciated. So, Rabbi Schwartzman, I, I want to talk about, firstly, should we be sitting here and talking about this topic that is going to be aired, broadcasted in mass to Klal Yisrael? Is this something we should be addressing? Or it seems that the trend has been to keep it under wraps for the most part. And uh, as, a, a, as a secondary question to that, should people, Orthodox Jews in more isolated areas. Uh, I don't know if uh, Lakewood is an isolated area or not, but uh, more isolated areas, should they have concerns about the topics that we're talking about today? Obviously, if we're talking about a living in a in a from in a from society that's more or less lives it's enclosed within itself to directly bring up uh, discussing what wrong things are being done by these people, these people, and what they're doing, what they are, is not not something to do. The question is the the question we really are addressing is that people who are in their way of life and in the society and even maybe their children are exposed to. Uh, to these phenomena or the people and uh, the, not just the phenomena of people who are a certain way but the people who are broadcasting and demand recognition uh, recognition for what they're doing recognition in a way of, of absolute legitimacy just like it's legitimate to eat breakfast 
and it's legitimate to get married. It's it's, it's legitimate to 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 isha yosha bein of yasa and just to do uh, everything is legitimate because that's what I feel like. That's the question. I think the answer to, the answer begins with our role is not to address problems. What they're doing wrong, we're not doing wrong. What's wrong? We have to we have to like in everything else in life. We have to focus on teaching people Torah. The idea is, and the teaching of Torah is not just what's awesome, what's mutter, which definitely we have. That's obvious. There's no, there's no discussion. That's not what the issue is. The issue really arises. Some people, unfortunately, you know, feel or sharing Torah mitzvahs feel, you know, how is it fair that the Torah said this is also this is mutter? That's this. How, how could it be? You know, this is these people. The the issue really begins. So much further, the teaching of Torah is the teaching of Torah begins with with Amunah and the and Kabbalah al Machul Shemai, which means that we our sense of existence and of being, who we are and what we are, we were created in this world to relate to the Rebbeinu to, to to bring out what he what he wants from us. And through that, we create our relationship with Rebbeinu Shlom, and our and that's the meaning of life. That's what uh, every person was born differently, with different challenges, with different uh, abilities, and with different disabilities. All man was created equal, equal in his obligation and responsibility to to do what Rebbeinu Shlom wants of him. But would not we want all created with equal abilities and our ultimate judgment is if with the abilities and with the distractions we have or we don't have are we fulfilling what the benefit wants of us and that's if you ask a person who am I the fact that he has he he likes he likes to eat only meat he likes to, he likes only fleshics only milchics doesn't define who he is it defines certain tendencies about him when we talk about people having orientations, that's not who they are. That's the tools or the difficulties that the Bible gave a person. And we have to learn from the Torah how how we utilize them and how we deal with the difficulties. Not every man is equal, not every woman is equal. And, and by the way, modern science without gives there's men, every, every man has certain tendencies that are more common by women, and every woman has certain tendencies that are more common by men. But the general who he is, is what the rebellion from create. This is the tools he was given. More, better, worse sometimes. The fact they have other tools gives you greater opportunity. Sometimes it gives you greater difficulties. That's, it's all, that's all open. Obviously, some of them are very challenging, especially in our times. And here, here it's very important to make a point. This, this terrible situation that the world, that I'm talking about the, that's in fact the world, the, the world in general, of its, its perception of, of what a person is, is so, is warped to the point that it's, it's, I am what I feel, and the purpose of life is to feel what I feel, and to feel what I am now, what I feel, and, and, and it's nothing. Some people will need to address the issues more specifically, but the, the approach always has to be when we look from the perspective of, of Torah, who we are, what we are, and where we're going. And therefore, it will be obvious the next step that this whole concept of, of identity is nothing but because it starts with a person saying, who I am is what my desires are. No. 
that's not true. The Rebbein gave us, in, in America, desires in order to be able to fulfill what the Rebbein wanted us to fulfill, in order for it to be able to be, to be, to be married, and to, to create families, and to create, and to further, and to further what's, what's meant to be. Without the Rebbein giving us physical desires, it would not work. So are you saying that there are means, not an ends? And Our physicality is means. Not an ends, and this movement has turned it into an ends, not a means. Rabbi Schwartzman, why don't we talk about the children? Uh, when we have the children in the mix, inevitably it becomes much more complicated, and children will very well may have exposure to seeing a pride parade, for example, or a rainbow flag, and uh, they'll ask, what does that mean? What's this parade about? We live on the same street in Yerushalayim, and the parade actually walks right up our street. And a child who asks, what's the parade for? Or what's that uh, rainbow-colored flag? Or it could be any other exposure that they see. What do we explain, and what do we not explain to those children? Now, when we deal with children, obviously, we are the idea of of de- dealing with sexuality with little children, with a child before he's capable of understanding what it's about, and he has no each one different boy, girl, whatever. Each, each to his own age is crazy, unless you believe in what in, in what the world has brought us to. So, so the, the idea is when they see these flags, what you tell them is these are a bunch of very sick, crazy people that are involved. And strange things, and really has no. It's totally meaningless. You know, just like we find that around us, people are. You know, there's many things people are doing and acting in the wrong way. There's there's going out in the world. There's there's uh, not acting properly. But we know we're brought up here without even explaining. There's no purpose in explaining to them what they're this way and we're this way. It doesn't make sense. I mean, if we can avoid them seeing it, is good. But if we can't avoid them seeing it, just to belittle it to the point that it's meaningless. But this is at a point when the child, we're talking about a young child. Children, there's no purpose of trying to explain to them. You know, they believe it. He doesn't even know. He, the baby comes from a stalk as far as he's concerned, the child. <laughs> I mean, you tell him this, something is marriage, and he doesn't know. A child has a way of developing his idea as, as he matures, his mind matures, his physicality matures, and, and, and starts drawing a picture. At a certain point, you have to intervene to make it, to, to, to put it in the right, in the proper perspective. To, in order it shouldn't, uh, if you see it, the child is developing crazy ideas, right? But nothing. The point for ourselves, Again, the way the way to look at it is when we deal with the issues when when Rabban and Machanchem deal with the issues when you have to deal with them to deal with them not to be objective that they're doing our various is begin with the whole concept here which allows which demands that that, that a person will never has a problem some have problems maybe if we, if our system if the the society would have functioned differently much less people would have problems like i saw in the statistics it used to be two percent and now and now it's uh 50 uh 15.9 uh, percent of younger people of younger people uh, of younger people. so what, what what's your explanation for that is that it's a it's a craze it's a fad it's very it's a movement very simple because you first of all we have to develop you, the first thing you have to do the moment you could you could read your you could be a second grade reader is think about your sexuality. So it's feeding on itself? It's feeding, it keeps feeding on itself, and there's options for that sexuality. And once you start developing it, that's, once you develop it and you feel comfortable with it, it's gonna, it's gonna say, that's what I am. You have to change yourself. It doesn't mean that there's some people who, 
many people have been sure there's, there's many teenagers, for example, even now very from community. Some who the Yitzhah that rise is strong by them, even when the Bachum, there's some who it's weaker by. But as they mature, they learn, it de- you realize that this is, you know, it develops, and you have some people, when they get married, they get their, their, their fear of, you know, how, what, what's going to happen, what's going to be, they don't, they're scared of it. And, the Bernashim helps you, you, you work your way into it. But, but if you would tell this, this kid that you have to be this way because that's what you are, and he doesn't feel it, he doesn't feel anything, and this way he's comfortable with his buddy and his pals, he's comfortable. Definitely is going to develop that, that those sexual tendencies. Right, right. So, so that's the two percent to the fifteen point nine percent or whatever it's, 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 it is. It's almost it, it, it's and then once once it, once it is that way, I mean, because that, that once that person is is that way, I mean, then it's you know he he. he He's defined himself. He's defined himself, and then it becomes like a question of, you know, I have no legitimacy. This is me, and I have no legitimacy. The first thing is, you are, as a yid, we have to think of who you are. It doesn't begin over there. And then we have to think, these are tools which were given, and how we were given sometimes. People are given with more difficulties, less difficulties, but everyone could, could, could reach the way he's meant to reach. He's meant to, to reach his way. And some people are... Some people there are... Didn't, I mean, we're born from some people in this world who we see that they're... They want men. I mean, Khalil and Khatis are single people, but want men to get married. Okay, so, so that's, it's a terrible, that's it's a terrible that... thing, you know. I mean, but you know, we feel very bad. But it, it does. It could happen sometimes. It could happen. But but I don't think. I mean, the the one who really was meant for it and anything may there may be there may. It, it, I can't say it's not. There's nobody out there that's. But I would say ninety nine point nine percent. But the problem is, again, then we start dealing with it. Then they tell us the therapy to change a person's orientation is dangerous and, and causes suicide. Definitely it does. Because this is, a person comes and says, this is who I am, and tell me, live my life not who I am. If it would start from the beginning, it's not who you You are a person. You are a human being that was created for a greater purpose. And you have certain issues that work this way, work that way. And I will help you work them out. Right. So let, let me just recap and make sure, make sure I'm getting this. We, we do have certain individuals that have these tendencies intrinsically. And for those, we have to have sensitivity to. And, and Sensitivity, again, but even though if we would know how to change their mindset, that this is not who you are. These are these are orientations. These right. are these are certain tendencies, and the tendencies sometimes we could we could, we could work with them. But now, not your identification. Not, not your identification. First thing we have to make we have to take away the pride of identification because that itself is what's destroying everything. Okay, so that that's my question then. The the, the ones that are quiet and want to deal with it. With the greatest sensitivity, the greatest, uh, and, and and assist them, and and uh, whatever whatever way it takes us, being with with uh, therapy or help or yes. or whatever it could be. Therapy not uh, trained. But uh, the, the, I believe therapy is not It's glot. It's glot. It's mahadri. It's mahadri. The only thing is, I think before any therapy starts, the person has to be understand the retirement behind behind the situation. Right. Right. And once he he that he he, be, he understands that. Then, then, then it could work. If it works just because you person, you tell a person that your orientation is this, make believe. For example, that's a lot of therapists what they used to do. You know, just just to have your imagination go wherever it is and do what you're supposed to do. No, you have to train a person first of all that it's not that imagination that you have is not this is who you are. This is your issues. Not who you are. So, based on that, let me ask a question, and, and it's really on my mind. I, I once saw that Rav Schwab was of the view that you cannot cheat on your taxes and be an Orthodox Jew. 
And I have that in mind as well, because many, a lot of this movement is public, and it is people that is saying that are saying that uh, this is who we are, and this is how we identify, and we're proud of it. And we'll go walk up the streets of Yerushalayim, or in New York, or wherever it may be, parading that this is my identity, not, I have inclinations, but this is my identity, I'm proud, that's why it's called Pride Parade, because we have pride. Can you be orthodox and be espousing being proud about having this identity to put you on the spot. <laughs> Definitely not. And you don't even fall for that. In other words, even who, uh, even those that will tell you, you when you cheat on your taxes, you could still be orthodox. Right? <laughs> even the Mekiliman taxes. Right, even the Mekiliman taxes. I mean, it's clear that to say I, I'm, I'm proud that I'm a person who I mean, you're saying I identify as a person who, who the terrorist said this is what you're supposed to know. I'm a, the person that does different things, and this is I'm a different person. To say you're meant to be a different person than the terror told you to be is not an alchiyid. It's being a kaifer b'tayr. You are denying the dvar Hashem, lock, stock, and barrel. If you could say that I have th- these tendencies, I have these difficulties. I have these tendencies, and I'm still from you, and I want you to understand I'm not a bad person. It's just tendencies that I have that I have that, that, that that's very challenging for me, and I want you to appreciate that and not look down at me as being as being a noise for. That's okay. I have my nesiyonis, I have my difficulties, and I want, but naturally, if a person has his difficulties, he's not going to parade him in the streets with his proud parade. He would demand that in the society he is close circle he lives in, they wouldn't look at him as being a, a Russia. No, you, you have a person that's very difficult. We can't, we can't, his Yetzirah is his, not mine, and therefore we can't judge him. Judge him if he looks at it, he understands his difficulties, and we'll definitely try to help. Be a sensitive pilot and try to help him. But, but if, right? I mean, it, it, because they developed this, this warped way of thinking of what a person is, they came to a point that they're, they're kaifim and tayr. It's not just he's not an Orthodox Jew, he's a kaifim and tayr. Very good. Well, Rabbi Schwartzman, I think that's a good place to uh, to say thank you so much for joining us. I think the message was very clear, and uh, we should be machazik ourselves in okay. in, a, in a negative environment. So okay. we should be machazik okay. ourselves. Thank you so much for all your hadracha, and uh, very appreciated your joining us.